Welcome to the home stretch. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes here live in studio until 10 p.m. on a hot, beautiful Monday evening. On a day hot enough to make the devil sigh, it's been a good one. I like the heat, okay? You know you know why? I, I hear all these people complaining, and I get it. Please stay safe, okay? Please stay safe. Drink water. But I like it hot. I don't do the cold. So when it's cold outside, I reminisce and think about these hot days where I'm sweating, and I go, I wish I had that. Because I can golf in this weather. I can crush a twisted tee by the pool in this weather. I ain't golfing when it's 25 degrees, okay? I've been when it's 33. It ain't fun. Don't miss hit a four iron. I, I, I'm okay with this. That's some airtight logic. See, the, I'm with you, you there. You can't, you can't. Can I go to the lake when it's cold? I mean, you can, You're but not it's not fun. fun. No. I'm not getting no jet ski under 70 degrees. That wind's vicious. I'm okay with this. Kyle behind the glass, how are you? Doing well. It is it is hot, but better than the alternative, I would say. Uh, we have a fun show today. A lot of Chiefs talk. A lot of NFL talk. That will dominate the show today. Seth Kaiser of The Athletic and Chief in the North uh, newsletter will be joining us at 7.15 up here in just a few minutes. I'm excited to talk to him. He had a really good article talking about the Chiefs offensive line. Seth went in depth, did some charts, did a whole bunch of film analysis, film review. I'm really excited to talk to Seth Kaiser about the offensive line. That, to me, has been the standout early on. Again, it's it's a preseason, not a ton of sample size, but what I've seen so far has me extremely enthused. So excited to talk to Seth. At 7.15, we'll talk with Daniel Harms, film analyst of RGR Football at 8. Again, probably some offensive line talk with him, some wide receiver talk, um, just Chiefs talk with Daniel. I'm excited to talk with him. He always has a very good outlook on on something. He he takes a nice viewpoint sometimes that you don't think of. So Daniel Harms at 8, Josh Briscoe at 9. We'll play some Chiefs audio as well. Before we get to the Chiefs, You heard that commercial, right, for Turnpike Troubadours coming on Saturday. Now, I love Turnpike. I've seen them four or five times. Turnpike's one of my favorite bands, one of my favorite country bands, that's for sure. So I saw them last year. Let me tell you, if you were going to that concert, designate a sober driver, one, because I, I, I'm not going to drink and drive. I think that's horrible. Please don't drink and drive. We Ubered last time. You try getting an Uber when a concert gets out, and you're out in Bonner Springs, and you are sandstone, there's nothing around you for miles. Closest thing's a casino. I'm not paying 200 bucks for an Uber because I'm a frugal man. So me and my boy are walking five miles to the casino to get an Uber because we think it's going to be cheaper than 200 bucks. So I highly recommend if you go to that concert, which I plan on going to, flip a coin, Have a sober driver. I learned my lesson. Don't walk five miles after uh, a whole bunch of 24-ounce bush lights. It ain't going to end well. Well, it ended well for us, but it was a lot. I I worked off all that beer. We'll we'll leave it there. That's some exercise. You walk five miles after that? Post-concert. Post-concert? That sounds ridiculous. Not ideal. 
I'm telling you right now. Designate a sober driver. Um, Jonathan Taylor wanting a trade, and guess what? Looks like the Colts are going to grant it, uh, at least granting Taylor the okay to seek a trade. This is a new development in the Jonathan Taylor Indianapolis Colts saga. Um, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, well, Colts finally said, you know what? Fine. You have permission to seek a trade. You You get this thing set up. That's fine. We're not giving you what you want. I do find it interesting on all these teams that are like, we don't think these running backs are valued. We don't think they're worth anything. And then you ask to trade for them. They're like, well, we want at least a first rounder. But you just told me they weren't worth anything. And now you want a first rounder for You see the disconnect here. Yeah, we're not going to pay top, par- top price for you, but maybe somebody else will. The Colts have put themselves between a rock and a hard place. The Jonathan Taylor and Colts themselves, that relationship seems strained to say say the least. But then you also have the case of, everyone knows Jonathan Taylor does not want to be there. Jonathan Taylor isn't necessarily in the Colts' long-term plans now as it seems. He's coming off of injuries. There's some he said, she said in regards to is his back? Is that a legit injury? Is that just something they, they tried to say to keep the contract down? Because now, how can you ask for a first-round draft pick or, according to them, a collection of picks that equates to one? How can you ask for that while running down your guy the entire offseason? Now, I understand where the Colts are coming from. The value of running backs is not what it once was, especially one coming off of an injury. I get all that. But then don't go asking for first-round draft picks. Now, I get they're going to have to say something. What are they going to say? We want a sixth? No, I get that. But I wonder if the Colts granting Jonathan Taylor permission to seek a trade to an extent is a little bit of a, hey, we are about to show you what we think you're worth, and we're not far off. I wonder how much of of the Colts' game plan is saying, hey, we're not trying to be mean. We're not trying to be rude. We're not trying to think you're not a good player. But we're trying to show you the value of the running back. Look around. What are teams offering for you? Are they offering a first-rounder for you? Or are they offering a fourth? A third? I wonder if this is trying to make Jonathan Taylor see he might not be quite as valuable as he thinks he is. As far as landing spots for Jonathan Taylor, we'll see. Uh, I think Miami is the logical choice. Miami has consistently tried to improve the roster, uh, going from obviously not this past season, but the one before with Tyreek Hill. They then brought in Jalen Ramsey. They are going all in this year. It would make sense to try and trade if you're going all in on Jonathan Taylor. But there are a couple other of legitimate rosters roster opportunities as well i do think if you play fantasy football outside of miami if he does get traded i don't know where he has the most value like tampa bay needs a running back it's going to be a disaster then down there in tampa bay i think a sneaky move could be the la rams i think the rams could be a little fun 
pickup for Jonathan Taylor and for fantasy football purposes. I think the Jets would be the, the funniest after they went and got uh, Dalvin Cook, obviously, and they already have uh, a very good running back in their own right before they brought in Dalvin. Brees Hall, who's now back off of injury. Where do you think Jonathan Taylor lands? Do you think he's traded at all? Well, who's going to give the Colts that first-round pick and subsequently pay him? It's not like you're going to trade for Jonathan Taylor. He's, it's going to be the same situation and not pay him. Uh, no one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> it, it's rhetorical. No one. I, I, my best bet is he probably ends up staying in Indianapolis unless the yeah. Colts realize, hey, this relationship, it's not getting repaired. It's done. The bridges have been burned. If that's the case, you might as well just try and get a third, get anything you possibly can for Jonathan Taylor. So you don't think it could be like a Saquon Barkley in New York situation where Barkley... It, it seems like just kind of folded and said, all right, I'll sign that, that one-year tag. Yeah, I think Saquon's better than Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. Consistently better, because we've seen Saquon put up huge numbers post-injury. We're waiting on Jonathan Taylor to do that. Right. It could be like that. It could be like Saquon. It, it could also be like Todd Gurley. Right. I mean, th- these are legitimate. Those are in the realm of possibilities for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, we're going to talk so much Chiefs. I'm I'm very excited to get into it. Um, one thing I do want to point out: the Chiefs' backup quarterback battle is incredible. And do you think Tampa Bay is kicking themselves for letting Blaine Gabbert go right now? <laughs> I'm only slightly joking, but holy bleep! Against the preseason, against the Arizona Cardinals, but he looks like a different cat. It also goes to show you what an Andy Reid system and scheme, what an Andy Reid offense looks like, why Andy Reid is comfortable with a backup that he can coach up, why Matt Moore, Chad Henney, Kevin Cobb, all those dudes in Philly, those backup quarterbacks work, because Andy Reid is that good. But you see Shane Bouchelle. And you see the tantalizing potential and the reason why the Chiefs didn't make him available. The Arizona Cardinals last year, the team they played this past weekend in the preseason, they wanted Shane Bouchelle. The Chiefs had to activate him because they were going to snipe him off the practice squad. And you see why. 10 for 10, and he looked incredible in that game. By the way... How hilarious is it that Mahomes, as solid as he was, had the worst passer rating of all four quarterbacks? Even Oladukun? Even Oladukun. Wow. Oladukun had second highest, 118.8, 4 5, 63 yards, 12.3 average. And he had a huge one called back of the illegal man downfield. The Chiefs' backup situation is obviously one to watch. I personally believe all three are going to make this team as far as Gabbert, Bouchelle, Mahomes. I also want to point out, I want to make sure everyone knows this rule. If you have if you know this rule, good for you. If you've heard me say this rule before, I apologize, but I want to make sure everyone understands this because this is a new rule in the NFL. So yes, you are correct. When you have three quarterbacks, that final quarterback, that third one, does not count towards your game day roster, towards the 46. But you know what it does count against? The 53. Okay? So, all this talk of, well, now you can carry three quarterbacks, that's true. 
you can carry three quarterbacks, but they have to be on your 53-man, okay? So if they're on the practice squad, you're not getting activated. That does not count. You have to be on the 53-man. And then on the game day 46, that third QB, that's gravy. The NFL was wanting this, so the Christian McCaffrey situation in the NFC Championship game does not arise. So I still think the Chiefs keep three, but it, again, is in the realm of possibilities. What if they only kept two on the pra- or two on the 53? Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll be joined by Seth Kaiser of The Athletic after this. Sports Radio 810 WHB. The Chiefs' starting O-line looks better, and that should terrify the NFL. The latest article on the Chief in the North newsletter from Seth Kaiser. Seth, how you doing? I am doing very, very well. Good to talk to you, man. Dude, it's a day, baby. It's a day. The Chiefs <laughs> won 38-10. to They beat the Cardinals, and all feels right in the world. That just seems like, put that in the regular season, and no one bats an eye. Yeah, it was uh, it was very apparent watching the Chiefs Cardinals. You know, preseason doesn't tell you a lot. I mean, there's a lot of vanilla going on that kind of stuff. But it also, when you have a talent disparity, it's harder to hide that in preseason because everything is vanilla. And it was clear very quickly that the Chiefs they just you know they 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 probably could have scored on all three of their starters drives had they not you know gotten in their own way. And, I mean, you could just see that play out with the second team, the third team. They're just a much, much better team. Uh, so you wrote this article, it's the Chiefs starting O-line looks better. And then you also mentioned yep. it should terrify the NFL. And by the way, if you're not subscribed to the newsletter, make sure you go and subscribe on Substack. If you don't, you are doing yourself a massive, massive disservice. But get into this. What have you seen so far from the offensive line? Sure. Well, you know, obviously they didn't play a ton of snaps in, in the first week. And even the second week, you know, I think you're talking about four drives total. But the, the big thing for us, I mean, we, we know who the interior is. Um, we, we know that when you've got Tooney, Humphrey, and Trey Smith next to one another, they've all been the way they are for two years in a row now. We've seen the consistency. It's the best interior offensive line in the NFL. And honestly, it's barely a conversation. There's a couple teams that you can include in the conversation, but it's the Chiefs. I mean, you, you've got you've got three guys that are, are that are arguably top five at their position, and arguably top two or three I, when you talk about Tooney and Humphrey. So we knew that. What we didn't know was what was going to look like with the tackles. Um, you know, anytime you got to revamp a, a position completely, they went out, they signed Jawan Taylor. Um, they decided to keep him at the right side where he played well last year for Jacksonville. And then you've got Donovan Smith. Everyone, everyone knows this background, right? Had a down 2022, was pretty solid before that, et cetera, et cetera. So the question is, what's it going to look like? You know, you've got to replace Andrew Wiley, who was kind of an overachiever, was up and down in pass protection at times, but kind of an average-ish right tackle. Then Orlando Brown Jr., who's somewhat uh, debated, we'll say that. <laughs> and for me... The pass protection aspect is always going to be much more important than the run game, um, probably like an 80-20 situation. 
And the, the interesting thing for me was always that when you look at Jawan Taylor's pass protection reps last year in Jacksonville, he was a much, 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 much better pass blocker than Andrew Wiley. And what that means, if you kind of just extrapolate the whole thing, is that all Donovan Smith has to do is be about equivalent of Orlando Brown in pass protection, and you will have a significantly better offensive line with no real weak spots to attack. And when that happens, you have Patrick Mahomes with the best pass-protecting line that he's ever played with because there's always been holes. Uh, even when he had Morse and Fisher and Schwartz, you know, the guards weren't quite as strong as you'd like. Well, now it's the best interior in the NFL, and now you've got tackles that, unless you guess the Cardinals, and again, they're the Cardinals, but they, they created pockets consistently and, and even, you know, when the pocket quote-unquote collapsed, it took, you know, three or four seconds to do it, and it was in a controlled manner that was easy for him to bail out. It was it, – it's just perfect situation for him to be able to do what he does to where it almost renders the wide receiver conversations we've been having moot. You had a really good chart of the dominance of the offensive line on pass protection plays, and you made sure you did not count – you counted non-screens – Design pitches, etc. So these are actual pass protection plays, actual dropbacks. There were 18. There were legitimate pressures of one. That is absurd. And that was me Seth. being picky. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that really, I was kind of being picky. And, and one thing that you know, a lot of people they think any time that the quarterback scrambles outside the pocket, there must be pressure, and that's just not true. If, if what you a pressure is something that forces non-normal quarterback movement. Climbing into the pocket is normal quarterback movement. Drifting around the edge as a, as a, as a tackle directs a pass rusher inside, that's normal movement. And that's what you saw snap after snap after snap after snap. Like, you know, an easiest example would probably be, you know, the downfield throw to MVS. The pocket was just gorgeous. I mean, he, he could have stood there for another 10 seconds before throwing. And, it is. It was a lot of fun to watch, and it wasn't just him that benefited from it. You know, you know, Shane B. He benefited from it on his drive, and it was just you could just see, just it was just excellent, excellent work, and you could see Mahomes just looking at, oh, who do I throw to here? Well, I can I can run to the right here, but it's not because he's sprinting. He can keep his eyes downfield the entire time, and it was just really fun to watch. And like I said, that really should frighten the NFL because he's always had to deal with a little something. Last year, they had a solid, a very solid offensive line. But because Andy Reid is who he is and Mahomes is who he is, I do think that the tackles got protected a fair amount. And with them, they'll still do it because Reid is still who he is. But I think you're going to see, at least with what we've seen so far, an uptick in the overall protection, which allows them to open up all sorts of things schematically. While I'm obviously extremely enthused in the early returns, especially with Donovan Smith, are obviously outstanding, I have a question for you. The, the, the knock against Donovan Smith, for the most part, outside of last year, because I, I, I believe last year was the outlier. That was the year of disaster for him health-wise, as well as a disaster for the entire offensive line of the Buccaneers. But it was 12 penalties last year. It was 8 the year before, 11 prior, 9. He's had over double-digit penalties four times in his career. While obviously we have not seen that yet, when Mahomes does bail out, and sometimes it is a little premature because that allows him to make plays outside of the pocket, are you nervous that Donovan Smith could get a little handsy? 
Oh, 100%. He's a very upper body based player. Has been his whole career. That's something, that's one reason why I think, my understanding is that one of the injuries he, he dealt with all last year was, was an elbow. And, uh, he, he is very reliant when you watch his tape on having, he's got great length, very powerful upper body. And we've seen that in, you know, against the Cardinals, he was throwing guys around. He's, he's, he's well built. He actually moves decently. He's pretty athletic for a guy who's as big and strong as he is. It's just his footwork has consistently been incredibly inconsistent throughout his career. And that's where you end up with grabs, holds because you're, you're off balance, can't change direction well, you get caught lunging, that sort of thing. I do think it's going to be a different experience for him because he's been working with Tom Brady for years, who's a very different type of uh, pocket operator. The one thing is Mahomes has a tendency when he does break the pocket to make something happen. It's usually either going around the edge on the right side or escaping through the, the, the B gap on the right or the left side. And neither of those are super conducive to holding calls. Where you get in a lot of trouble is when you start to break free around the outside of the tackle. And I think Juwan Taylor can handle that, and I don't think Donovan Smith's going to see as many of those. So I still think he'll see more penalties than a normal tackle, because unless Andy had completely fixed his footwork in one offseason, which seems like a tall task, um, he's still going to be an upper-body-based guy, so you're going to see a few more of those than normal. But I, I do think that the situation they have with Mahomes, with Reed, and the help he gives his tackles at times, I think that should help. Um, it's very different than the, like the downfield passing attack that uh, that that the Buccaneers have been attempting. Uh, Seth Kaiser, the easer of concerns, right here on the home stretch Sports Radio eight ten WHB. You also had a nice little film review of Felix Enudike Uzama. What have you seen from the edge so far? It's been a little mixed bag. It's hilarious. You'll check Twitter, and I know Twitter's not real life. Half the people are sitting here saying, "Wow, I love what I'm seeing from FAU. The sacks are going to come," and the other. Half we're sitting here saying, what has he done so far? It seems like I haven't seen him on the field making an impact at all. I know it's early, mm-hmm. two preseason games, I get it. What have you seen so far from FAU? I liked what he did against the Saints. That's the game where I, where I charted every snap he had. I, I charted six pressures on his part. A couple of them I could have charted as hits, but I try to lean towards being a little bit uh, harsher in my grading, you know, to kind of fight homerism. But uh, one, what I like about him, you could tell the speed of the game, that that's going to take a little time for him. He, he looks a little slow off the line. Um, that wasn't a problem for him in college. So I'm guessing that's more just the speed of the game overall. He's just seen all this for the first time. And you can kind of almost see him thinking through things out there at times. Um, what I like about him, though, is he's got heavy hands. You can kind of see him landing um, when when he lands uh, inside an offensive lineman's pads, you can see the jolt. He's able to uh, rip free of hands pretty easily. Like being able to free your hands as a pass rusher on the edge, especially, is a big deal because if you can't free those hands and they can keep fighting, clawing, grasping at those hands, that slows you down a tenth, a twentieth of a second, and that's the difference between uh, pressure hit sack or not affecting the play at all. And a lot of rookies really struggle, and honestly, a lot of veterans struggle to free their hands. That's something he's shown a knack for. He also strings together moves. Um, one of his better reps against the Saints, he, um, and it, it, looked, it looked smooth enough that I think this was you know, kind of planned out in advance. He converted a push-pull into a rip around the edge and kind of seamlessly blended them together. 
you don't see a lot of that from young guys. Now, he's got a ways to go, I think, but I, I have seen him collect some one-on-one wins on a, on a more frequent basis than George Karloftis was this time last year because that's not really Karloftis' game. You know, he's more of an effort, some explosion, straight power type guy. And so I, I like what I see I, overall. I haven't charted his snaps against the Cardinals yet, so we'll, we'll kind of see where it goes with that. But I do think that he's got some foundational traits that are going to help him contribute in year one. It's just probably not going to be contributing to the level that fans would hope from a first-round pick. What are your concerns with the defensive line as a whole? Because this is still the spot where I'm looking at it going, the Chiefs are deep everywhere else. I mean, there's just a plethora of depth. Of depth. And then you look at the defensive line, and you have some questions. Like, I'm obviously very, very comfortable with Karloftis. When Chris Jones is back, when he is there, obviously he is a top-three DPOY guy. But outside of those two guys, there are a lot of concerns, especially with Charles and who missing six games. Are you concerned here, or do you see enough enough room for optimism to say, you know what, I think it's going to be okay? I mean, there's definitely concerns there. There were concerns there with Chris Jones, and, and he is the, the sun around which that entire pass rush orbits. You know, the thing that they, they were able to, I think they were second in the league in sacks last year, and that's not a great measure, but, you know, your, your measures are more, you know, pass rush wins, and even pressures is a much better measure in terms of what the pass rush is doing. But they, they, they were able to do it last year, and, and I always talk about, you know, with pass rush, you've got guys, and that's great. It's good to have – you need, you need your guys. And then you've got dudes. And Chris Jones is like the dude, right? <laughs> um, you know, those, those, are your, those are your absolute dudes along the line. You need to have a really good pass rush, a consistent one at least, right? You need either at least a couple dudes and then a couple more guys, or you need one dude and then four or five guys. And that's what they had last year, right? They had one dude and then four or five guys in a pretty good scheme, and you could rotate in bodies, and it all worked. This year you've got your collection of guys. I think they really like Charles Amenehu. I don't think they anticipated the six-game suspension. He's a better rusher from the interior than he is on the edge, in my opinion. But I think right now you see a group. It's kind of funny. The first thing I was thinking when you were asking me, like, what do you think of the defensive line? It's hard not to be like, you know, I think they're one elite player away from being a really good group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and that's where it's like you can see the plan there. Yeah. You know, drop a Chris Jones in the middle of it. And I really like a, a first four pass rush group of Chris Jones Charles Amenehu, Mike, Mike Dana, and George Karloftis may be rotating in FAU in there, and you've got a few other guys that you can rot in, rotate in there that you're comfortable with. But it needs Chris Jones to work. And really with where they're at in terms of depth and that kind of stuff, I wouldn't hate the idea of them calling Carlos Dunlap and saying, hey, winning the Super Bowl ruled, huh? <laughs> Want to come do it again? So they, they really the, the big problem they have is without Jones, Along the interior, other than Amenahu and who is, you know, they're using on the edge and the interior, they don't have interior pass rushers that have shown they can consistently make an impact. And that's going to be a problem because that's going to allow defenses to slide protections one way or another without worrying at all. And I think you've seen that a little bit in spurts in the first couple preseason games. And then you get to the point where you're lying on spags to dial up blitzes, you know, a third of the time rather than 20% of the time. 
and you're not taking teams by surprise, and that means fewer times you're getting pressure when you blitz, which means openings down the field. There's kind of a domino effect there, right? Yeah. And so I, that's by far the biggest worry that I have about the team right now. I, I know you got to go, so uh, I'll finish with this because you brought it up, and that was with Steve Spagnolo. Something I've noticed, you, you see a lot of preseason defenses. They're very bland, right? Well, Spags has drawn up a lot of designed blitzes. Some of it, I think, is because he wants mm-hmm. to see what he has with Drew Tranquil. I think some is he wants to see what he has in Shamari Connor. But some has me wondering, is this what we're going to see? Because they don't know what's going on with Chris Jones. And without Chris Jones, well, this is what the plan is going to be. They're going to have to make these designed pressures to get after the quarterback. What have you taken from the game plan so far from Steve Spagnolo? One thing I would say is he's dialed up a lot of blitzes, but it's not stuff that he didn't show last year. Like, he's not disguising it. Like, that was one thing. One thing I really enjoyed writing about last year was some of the luxurious Sneed slot blitzes, and he used Trent McDuffie for them a few times, too, and kind of showing how he dressed them up differently. To, even though you're doing the same thing, it's kind of like what Andy Reid does on offense, right? It's the same concept that everyone else runs. He just dresses it up so much better. Um, Spags hasn't dressed up his slot blitzes any differently than what he did last season. So I think that because he's got such a deep bag of those, it allows him to play around with them. And I think it gives you an example of see, okay, well, what kind of blitzer is this guy? And I think with Shamari Connor, you're seeing them really test out, okay, you're obviously a great athlete, but can you blitz? Because that means you've got to be able to bend. You've got to be able to get through contact. You've got to be able to arrive finished and not overrun the play. Legereus Sneed is terrific at that. Trent McDuffie's terrific at that. Connor has overrun a couple of plays. And so you gotta, you know, you're, you're giving him an opportunity to see what that feels like at the pro level. I think that's one huge reason they're doing it is because we know Spags loves those chess piece guys. And I think he's kind of giving him a taste of it and while also seeing, okay, can I trust this guy to not overrun the play, to not get overly excited and to execute this correctly? Seth Kaiser, make sure you go to the Chief in the North newsletter. If you're not doing it, you're missing out on some of the best Chiefs content out there. O-line film analysis, Rasheed Rice, Wani Morris film reviews, FAU film reviews. Come on! You're missing out on that if you're not subscribed, so make sure you go there. It's on Substack. Seth is also the nicest dude in Chiefs media. Anyone who covers the Chiefs, anyone who covers anything in the NFL, Seth is the nicest guy. Check out his Twitter account. If you're not doing that, come on. Like, seriously, Seth, you, you'll you just have someone, like, all of a sudden come at you, and you just kill him with kindness. And I'm sitting here going, what a nice guy. He is way nicer than me. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm just old as all. I've, I've just, uh, I, I'm just, I'm just trying to, I just don't have the, I don't have the oomph anymore to trade blows. I'd rather just get along, <laughs> but I appreciate it. Seth Kaiser, the king of getting along. Always appreciate it. Take a quick break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to the Home Stretch Sports Radio 810 WHB. Thank you to Seth Kaiser. Always a great time when Seth joins the show. We're joined by Daniel Harms, film analyst of RGR Football at 8 o'clock. Again, I told you, a lot of Chiefs talk happening on this, on tonight's show. I love this. Zach Eisen for Arrowhead Report took a uh, little screenshot. And remember the Patrick Mahomes, Derek Jeter jump throw, right? How can you forget that? That was, it was absurd, man. 
No one has incompletions like Patrick Mahomes. And I get it. It was an incomplete pass. I, I am fully aware Bengals fans who are in your mentions saying, incomplete. We know. It's also a preseason game. I get this. That was a legit jump throw that traveled 20 yards on a line? Yeah, that's the most ridiculous part is the, the power he had behind it. It wasn't a lob. This thing was a bull. It, it was a Derek Jeter jump throw. But in the picture that Zach Eisen had, the little screenshot, Travis Kelsey is about 30 yards downfield, from Patrick at least, and Patrick is, well, as you know, on the far right side of the field, jumping OB. Travis Kelsey is on the far left side of the field. He's jumping with his hand up in the air, screaming for the ball because no one is within, I don't know, 30 yards of the guy. And I don't know what I find better about this picture. The fact that Travis Kelsey is this wide open and is screaming for the ball because he's never this wide open ever in a game. Or two, the fact that he believes that Mahomes could make that throw. I mean, let that sink in for a second. If you're waving your arms like that, you believe that Mahomes, while being chased by four Arizona Cardinals out of bounds, could make a throw. How far is that? Um, 60 yards? 70 yards for a gain of 20? As far as, like, it's only 20 yards forward, but across the entire length of the field, off of one leg? And Kelsey has the faith in Mahomes to do that, at least according to the screenshot. I find that incredible. Mahomes replied to that. He said, can't believe I missed it. (laughs) With the laughing emoji. Again, it would have been an impossible throw, but you've come to expect the impossible from Patrick Mahomes. It's almost like the World Series. Was it Vin Scully? When the, uh, the, the old quote, the impossible has happened. Something so improbable, the impossible has happened. I'm sure I'm butchering that, but that was the, uh, the old, when Kirk Gibson hit that uh, walk-off home run when he, was, when he was injured. In a year that's been so improbable, the impossible has happened. Incredible line. But that's the point. Mahomes does so many improbable things. It's now the impossible is happening. That is what we have been seeing from Patrick Mahomes. I want to play some Chiefs audio. Uh, I want to give you guys a injury update from Andy Reid. Here is Reid with the newest injury update. Matt Dickerson, as far as the injuries go, has a turf toe. Um, other than that, it's the same guys. I mean, there's nothing new really to, to give you. Any, any chance Decker will play against Cleveland, or are you going to? Uh, there's a chance, yeah. There's a chance. We just got he's got to be cleared and all that. Today was the first day push we saw him without the yellow non architecture. Mm-hmm. Is that a positive step? That's a positive right, step. In the right direction, so yeah. that'll maintain it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, was, yeah. as long as nothing happened today. <laughs> right. We haven't seen uh, Tershawn out there for a little while. Um, is it, has he had a setback with the knee or is there? Knee swell up a little bit, uh, but he's he's feeling good, good now, so. Andy, uh, any chance uh, Tony comes back to practice anytime soon? Gary? Uh, 
We'll see. Um, probably not tomorrow. So, <laughs> I love probably not tomorrow. That's great. Any chance we see him? Probably not tomorrow. Classic. Classic Andy Reid. As long as he doesn't say day-to-day. Okay? This is the new day-to-day. Probably not tomorrow. It's a good one. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco, again, getting the non-contact jersey uh, taken off. That's ideal. Huge step in the right direction for Pacheco. Turk Wharton, as we heard, the knee swelled up. Not great for Turk Wharton, who's been off and on. He was on the PUP, then he was activated, but those knees swelling up. Not great for a big dude. A lot of weight on those on, the, on those knees right there. Not ideal. Uh, and then Matt Dickerson with the um, turf toe. Which, by the way, I've always stood by. Turf toe is not a apt name for what it is. Turf toe is brutal. Okay, it's not like ouch, ouch. I stubbed my toe on the turf. It's not close to that. I've had turf toe. That thing lingers for months. I mean, that thing hurts. You try to push off that, you ain't going anywhere because you're in agony. Turf toe sucks. I still have my mind blown when I hear Mahomes, who was playing through that, and it was basically his toe was down in his shoe. These guys are NFL athletes are different, man. These dudes are different, especially when it comes to injury. Uh, next one, I want to hear from uh, Andy Reid talking about the wideouts. Yeah, well, I don't know that yet. I mean, they're they're competing like crazy. Uh, you keep six or seven of those guys, so that six and seven spot is going to be you know a pretty good battle. But we'll see how it all winds down there, you know, as as we go. But but it's it's open, it's wide open for the. I thought that was interesting. So we've all in the media have talked about seven wide receivers. We thought we, you know, we've, we've talked six or seven. Maybe I'm wrong and haven't heard him say this before. And Kyle, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember Andy ever mentioning seven wide receivers before until this point. Okay, we've talked about it like six for sure, and the potential for a seventh. But Andy saying six or seven. That's the first time I feel like we're really starting to get that confirmation. I mean, again, it's not confirmation, but a legit opportunity for seven wide receivers. Uh, he, he says that back end is still going to be very tight. I wonder what that means. If that means Amir Smith-Marset is making a case. I mean, we, we've talked about how good 82 has been for Kansas City, right? He's been outstanding. I wonder if he's making a case for himself. Um, you know, Kakoa Crawford, he was actually released today to make room for a different wide receiver today. A uh, little interesting maneuver right there. But Cornell Powell has looked damn good. Now, I don't think he's making the team, okay? But the point is, if Andy Reid is saying that it's not a foregone conclusion, and he obviously is not going to tell us that it is, I'm still intrigued to see if Amir Smith-Marset has any sort of chance of making the 53, because if not... That dude will be playing on Sundays. He ain't making it through the practice squad. The reason why I said six or seven is interesting for Andy Reid. Uh, this is from Joseph Hefner on Twitter. He went back and took a look at all of the initial 53-man rosters from 2013 to now, okay, in the Andy Reid Kansas City Chiefs tenure. So as far as how many people on each position make the team. For Chiefs, starting with 2013 to now, has been 6, 5, 
666-666-55. So the last two years, there have only been five wide receivers to make the 53. That's the average ratio of how many um, players at wide receiver have been on the team. So now they're talking about seven. In the entire tenure of Andy Reid so far in Kansas City, there's not been a single year where seven wide receivers have made it. Now, the obvious difference is no fullback. But where I say, that's great and all, no fullback, that's a spot. The last three years, the Chiefs have also had four tight ends. That's been a consistent trend in the Andy Reid-Kansas City era. He started off with 3-4-3-4-3-2. Three, four, four, four. The Chiefs have also kept three tight ends last year because they had to activate Shane Bichelle because, as I mentioned in the first segment, the Arizona Cardinals were trying to poach him. Chiefs also had four running backs last year. They had four running backs and one fullback. So again, this seven-wide receiver issue... It's not just one spot. You're looking at it almost two because that's two spots more than where it was last year with only five wide receivers. If you want four tight ends and seven wide receivers and three quarterbacks, you want four running backs because you don't have that fullback, you're making some some tough cuts elsewhere on this roster. He's going to keep nine offensive linemen at a minimum. At a minimum, he will keep nine offensive linemen. That's been the case since 2017. A minimum of nine. Now, where does that spot come from? Linebacker last year was the first year since 2016 that Andy Reid only had four linebackers on the active 53 or on the 53. A lot of times, it's not just five. He's had three years, including in 2021, where they have had six linebackers. On the 53. Again, I want seven wide receivers as much as the next guy. But these cuts are going to be very, very tough. Next one, I want to hear from Rasheed Rice. Because Rasheed Rice had that big drop early on in the game. And all he did was bounce back and go off. I mean, Rasheed Rice was a massive bright spot against the Arizona Cardinals. Here is Rasheed Rice. Well, I mean, first off, I had, you know, the veterans to make sure that I wasn't getting down on myself. They kind of could see me, like, if I get on the sideline, I'll I'll just be staring straight, and they'll be like, you know, next play, uh, you got a lot more game to play. And uh, I got, you know, a teammate on the team that always tells me to seize the moment, and I feel like I'm in a great position right now. So I just cleared the next play and know that I had a lot more game to play. What I noticed right after that initial drop was, one, not a man pouting, but two, Travis Kelsey went immediately over to Rasheed Rice on the field, put his arm around him, gave him a little pep talk. It wasn't a, you know, sit by yourself, we're not talking to you. It wasn't a, everyone hanging their head. It was a... Hey, man, it's okay. Team's going to need you. I love that from Travis Kelsey. We've talked a decent amount about the preseason fights that Travis Kelsey has been in. Is that a old man move? As far as, is he trying to fire up the team? 
Is that a guy who's been at so many training camps, he's pissed off now, he's tired of the heat, he doesn't want to get the ball tried, uh, the ball ripped out 12 seconds after the play's blown dead? Doesn't matter. He's a damn good leader when the, when the lights are on. When the lights are the brightest, Travis Kelsey is there. He was there for Rasheed Rice. That, to me, stood out in that game. And what happened? Rasheed Rice bounced back. I love that for this team. I also love that Andy Reid, I'm surprised teams have not clued in on this yet. I'm sure they have. When teams on the or when players on the Chiefs make a mistake, you can almost guarantee that very next play is going to that guy. If Kareem Hunt fumbles, what happened? He got the rock, and what happened that game? He scored three touchdowns. When Rasheed Rice had this drop, what happened? He had eight catches and 96 yards. This happens all the time for Kansas City. When Sky Moore was struggling with punts game after game, he had his biggest one on the biggest stage in the brightest moment. The point is, Andy Reid uplifts his players. When they are down, when they feel alone, when they feel like they let the team down, Andy says, hey man, You'll make up for it. You got it, man. We believe in you. We need you here. And there's two ways of going about it. Now, if you keep doing, if you keep fumbling as a running back, he'll sit your ass down. We saw it. LaShawn McCoy, if he's holding that ball like a loaf of bread, he's going to say, all right, man, you did not learn. But there's two ways of going about it. You saw Bill Belichick, how many times a, a, a dude fumbles... That's a whole game sat on the bench next to him. You're done. There's two ways of going about it. I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong, but I am saying what works for Bill, the opposite works for Andy. It's probably the reason why players love playing for Andy. It's accountability, but it's also a sense of, if I mess up, it's not over. I can redeem myself. And I do think part of that, when you do it the Andy Reid way, You don't try so hard to make up for it, you do it again. Because I think there's an issue that players, when they fumble once, they try to, i got to bust off an 80-yarder. i got to do something to make up for that. Andy just says, hey, just do what you normally do. You'll make up for it play-by-play, game-by-game, season by I just love the way Andy Reid goes about uplifting his players. He did the same thing with uh, McCall Hardman against the Bills in the AFC Championship game. Yeah, Hardman fumbled a punt. The next drive, the next opportunity to you know make a difference, they throw him a screen. He scores a touchdown. Yeah, no, I I just I think it's why players love playing for Andy Reid. Uh, all right, final audio clip I want to play for you guys. This one is from FAU. Oh uh, yeah, um, obviously playing a, my first game is a uh, in the forefront. Um, it's different from K State. Where we were just in a three, and also just the pace of it is different, and um, and there's still a lot of improvement I need to do for me to be uh, obviously a pretty good rusher. So um, yeah, last the last two games were definitely something I really needed. Are, you, um, are there specific things you're working on to get ready for the season? Um, basically, like I said, really just um, playing faster, knowing what I footwork and everything like that. The basic things. Um, just to improve, just to stack on to, so I can be better. Your uh, thoughts on just the game speed? You played two games now. Is, is it a noticeable difference? Then? Oh yeah, it's it's pretty noticeable, and it's just 
Um, it's something that I, obviously I got to um, not obviously improve of or just be ready for the next, not next, but like the next game and stuff like that. So it's, it's very noticeable, but it's, it's a challenge I'm willing to take and it's a challenge that um, it's, it's, it's NFL now. So it's, uh, it's what I'm going to have to deal with. So throughout my NFL career. The game speed from college to the NFL has always been one of the things touted by players as the biggest, most noticeable difference. And this is just preseason. They always say preseason is a different speed than regular season, which is a different speed than the playoffs. you got to get your feet wet. I'm very, very excited about FAU because I think he's the exact type of player you want to have paired on the opposite side of George Karloftis. Karloftis is your power. FAU is a little bit more bendy. I think FA, uh, I think FAU might have a little bit more upside. I love Karloftis. Now, I love the pick of Karloftis. I said before he was drafted, if I were the GM, that's a guy I would go after because the Chiefs needed someone who could play and start week one last year. They were that needy on the defensive line. This year, because they hit on Karloftis, it allowed him to get a guy with a little higher upside. I understand pick 31, right? A little different because you're not going to have the top-end talent. You're not getting a Bosa or a Watt necessarily at that spot. You just aren't. But FAU had a lot of upside, and he's extremely young, and he's coming from a very unique system at K-State. Now, I think you can make the, make the case that that actually helps FAU. Hear me out. The fact that he was putting up numbers in that unique of a system at K-State, when he's getting double teamed at the rate he was at K-State, when teams could focus in on him, when we know about the Big 12 and how good offensive lines are in the Big 12, that makes me excited because you know why? That's a guy that can do it in any system, in any scheme. He uses the adversity and finds ways to get it done. Now, you heard Seth Kaiser. He said he had, what, six pressures in that game? Six pressures? That's a good number. That's a good start. We saw Carl Loftus last year. He started off with a lot of pressures. The sacks didn't come until the second half of the season. I think the second or the same thing happened with FAU. My one concern is that also coincides with Charles and Minahue because he's going to be gone six games. With Charles gone six games, you need a guy who can step up week one and make an impact. You got Mike Dana. Are you trusting Mike Dana to be a starter? Is Malik Herring going to make this roster? Or is FAU going to surprise us all and be the young cat who makes an impact week one? That remains to be seen. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll be joined by Daniel Harms, film analyst of RGR Football, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to the Home Stretch Sports Radio 810 WHB. Again, Sterling Holmes with you until 10 o'clock. Joined now by Daniel Harms, film analyst for RGR Football. Actually, I believe just coming off of a RGR Football podcast. Harms, appreciate you joining my man. Yeah, no problem. And I was actually just coming off of the uh, the live stream that we do every Monday night for the Q&A. So, Doing a great, you know, I'm doing great, and just looking forward to talking more Chiefs with you. Oh yeah, you're not you're not Chiefsed out yet, are you? Because we can talk something else. We can oh. talk we can talk golf game. We can talk barbecue. We can talk uh, 
I don't know. That's about my two other areas of ex- beer, uh, three areas of expertise. I'm good to talk cheese, beer, barbecue, anything, man. I'm, yeah. I'm good to go. Yeah, yeah, ball. See, every, everything good starts with a B, baby. Everything good, beer, <laughs> ball, barbecue, all you need. Um, you are a offensive line aficionado, okay? I talked with Seth Kaiser about it earlier on in this show, and I talked to you about it. You and I, we, we've talked for years now. We always say the offensive line is the most underrated, underappreciated, under-talked about part, and now the Chiefs have maybe one of the best offensive lines in football. I know it's early. I get it's preseason, but the early returns of Juwan Taylor and Donovan Smith are extremely promising. Let's start here. What have you seen from the O-line? They have been everything I think we all wanted them to be eventually because obviously you tackle group, you need to get acclimated to a new quarterback, to new guards, the center, how they call things out. Expecting a little bit of growing pains here and there getting to the first part of the season. But right now they look really comfortable. They look like they've been doing this for a long time. And this could legitimately be the best offensive line that Patrick Mahomes has ever played behind. And considering what he's already done, in the NFL, imagine getting an even better offensive line. That's just a ridiculous thing to think about. And I think what we, we really understand right now about the way that the NFL is, is moving is defenses are like teams, specifically the Chiefs. We don't want you throwing deep on us. So we're going to take an extra man out of possibly selling a box in terms of bringing more run defenders up to the line of scrimmage or close to the line of scrimmage with those two deep safety looks. And, well, last year was the most impactful rushing year in the NFL in terms of yards per carry. I think it was 5.3 on average per team. That's the highest in NFL history. And the Chiefs are like, well, we can throw the ball wherever we want to, whenever we want to, but why not take advantage of some of these looks? And they were extremely efficient last year. The quarterback run game is working in terms of the scrambles. Mahomes has become a dangerous, one of the most dangerous scramblers in the NFL. And now you give him an offensive line that, like, like I said, could legitimately be the best he's ever had. And behind, you know, Pacheco, who really kicked in last year and was excellent down the stretch with McKinnon doing his work and hopefully a healthy Clyde will be able to contribute there as well. This is looking like one of the could legitimately be the, the best rushing attack and passing performances that we've seen um, under Patrick Mahomes as the quarterback. So it, those are lofty expectations, but the early returns on the offensive line, those are not out of the realm of possibilities at all. I, I want to talk about the running back room. Uh, we saw Isaiah Pacheco get the non-contact jersey lifted today. That is a huge step in the right direction for him. We've seen a fairly he- heavy dose of Clyde Edwards-Alaire early in these preseason games. Uh, one, do you think we'll see more Clyde Edwards-Alaire than the majority of of people think and two what do you see from Daenerys Prince and LaMichael P. Ryan um, you know LaMichael P. Ryan has actually been showing a decent amount at least in my eyes and I've seen him have a couple of really nice pass protection sets where I'm sitting here going you know what that might make a case for him making the, the, the roster as the fourth running back and then Daenerys Prince he had the inside edge and then he's really kind of fallen out of favor. If he's not going to be the kick returner, I don't know if Prince makes his team. Yeah, so first we'll address the first part of the question with Clyde Edwards-Alaire because you guys know not only am I a Clyde Edwards-Alaire fan, I do think he's going to get involved in the offense a little bit more than people expect probably early in the season. As we've seen the Chiefs bring 
Pacheco along slowly. He did get that, you know, not contact, contact removed a little bit, you know, before the third preseason game, before the final one. I expect them to still be a little bit more cautious, but at the end of the day, he's still probably going to get the majority of the running work, but it might be more of a, like a 55-60 split early in the season before he's fully given maybe closer to like a 70-30, um, 75-25 kind of thing. But I do think that Clyde has he looked a little bit better than I think I expected him to. Looks a little bit quicker than he did last year. Hopefully the injuries have, the injury bug has kind of left him because it's been every single year in his career now that he's been hurt. So that's more of a hopeful thing, but I do expect him to play a little bit more than I think fans definitely, actually definitely more than fans want him to because they all want him traded for Jonathan Taylor. So, um, <laughs> but that's a whole other topic. Getting to Daenerys Prince and Michael Pirine, if Daenerys Prince is not, like you said, not the kick returner, he's not on this roster. That's cut and dry for me. He's not showing enough as a rusher behind the third and the fourth string guys to or second, third, and fourth string guys to say that he should make the roster. And at the end of the day, Michael Pirine has done that. He's been way better than I think I expected. Most people probably expected. And the pass protection stuff, yeah, it's been it's been good for him. But I think the biggest thing is that he's been taking the runs between the tackles and outside the tackles and making it work. That's the big thing for me. You've seen him kind of change his angles at times. Maybe press a hole or press a gap and then bounce it a little bit and get three or four more yards added on to it. Things I didn't expect to see out of him. And when it comes down to these last roster spots, if you have an option for kick returner, and that was the only way that Ms. Derek Prince was going to make this roster. If you have another guy that can do it and give you some return on that, and you have another running back, if the Chiefs keep four running backs, it, it, turns, it turns the tide of that battle to the guy who will give you more of a return as a running back. And right now, the edge is clearly, in my opinion, to LaMichael P. Ryan if they keep four running backs. Daniel Harms, film analyst to RGR Football, joining us right here on the home stretch at Sports Radio 810 at WHB. There's been a lot of very impressive performances from wide receivers so far this preseason and yeah. training camp. But who has impressed you the most so far? So far, it's been Rasheed Rice. He's uh, not that I didn't expect him to have some good moments, but you know, last year this was the the big talk about Rasheed Rice is that why did the Chiefs draft him in the second round? He, looked, he was dealing with an injury. He didn't look explosive. Was he going to be able to get healthy and get back to what most people didn't watch in 2021? To be perfectly honest, most most of them didn't go back and watch his 2021 tape and see that he was more of an explosive player. And that that injury really zapped a lot of that from him. When you have these leaps and bounds as a player in your your senior year, where he was really more of a a make or miss kind of guy in terms of I'm going to go get this jump ball and I'm going to make a big play here, or I'm just going to, you know, not be able to do much next play because that one really hurt my foot. injury. For me, that's what I really took out of watching his film. So getting the ball in his hands early, seeing some of the yak potential that he had that SMU did not do a very good job of showcasing to be perfectly honest. And that's the big area for me is that if you can get him on the field with the aspect that we've seen in college, the big play down the field, making, you know, dunking on guys, stuff like that. If you can add the yak potential and the yak ability to the offense that they, they really do need, especially if Kadarius Tony is going to be injured and missing time this season, which we'll come to find out, which I would at least plan 
the Kadarius Tony's going to miss a game or two here and there, then it's nice to have a, a six foot two um, two hundred pound receiver that can do some of those things, but can be used on the outside a little bit and have that speed and explosiveness. The, the first five yards for him looks fast. It looks explosive. That's the guy that tested and that really surprised a lot of people with the way he tested. So for me, Rasheed Rice has been the most impressive player in you know in terms of learning a whole new offense coming in, getting targets, and being very productive with them. Yeah, and I was impressed at just his reaction after the drop. It wasn't a hang-your-head situation. I I mentioned it a little bit before you came on. I love Travis Kelsey coming over on the field and saying, hey, dude, it's going to be all right, man. We need you here. Keep your head up. And again, in Andy Reid fashion, the guy that had the early drop ended up having (laughs) the best game. Amir Smith-Marset has now been knocking on the door, outstanding in training camp. Mm Mm-hmm. Two really good preseason games. He is a backup punt returner behind Richie James. 92 yards and a tutty in this one. He also had another huge play that was called back because of an illegal man downfield. I mean, I get it. There's probably not room for him on this team. But is he making this really hard on Andy and Brett Veach? And is there a possibility he could be the seventh wide receiver? So he's going to give them... A headache, I think, especially with if he plays well in the third preseason game and maybe Justin Ross doesn't have the game that everyone wants him to have because I fully expect them to do what they did with Rasheed Rice in this in the next game to Justin Ross. Give him seven, eight targets, see if he can handle it. And, you know, especially with the way Rasheed and Amir Smith-Marset and Nico Remigio have handled some of the targets that they've gotten. I think that they might want to see him do a lot of the same thing with that. So you might see him get a lot of those targets as well as Amir Smith-Marset later in that game. And I, I'm not saying this is going to happen by any stretch. I think there's like a 10 to 15% chance that Amir Smith-Marset beats out, you know, Justin Ross for that seventh wide receiver spot, assuming, again, that they keep seven. Um, <laughs> at the end of the day... You had so many people right now... In harm's way, nineteen. If you want to complain to him, <laughs> don't don't take don't blame me. Andy Reid even said <laughs> six or seven. Like he's thinking about it, but he wants six. This is not. He wants to keep six receivers, but they are pushing him and they are making it difficult on him to keep only six. We we kind of assume that there's going to be seven. I would never. I wouldn't put it past Andy Reid to say I don't care what anybody thinks. We're keeping six. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I still think seven makes the most sense, and especially because you've had so many guys pushing. So this this game, I think Amir Smith Marset is going to have an opportunity to make this dif- this decision very very difficult. I don't expect him to make the roster, but again, adding special teams importance to a guy who's playing well in the training camp and in the preseason might tip the scales a little bit when it comes to cut-down time. Yeah, I gave the list earlier. Andy Reid, ever since he's been here in Kansas City, has never had seven wide receivers on the 53. I think today was the first time we have heard him say six or seven. Ever. Um, Yeah, but I think that was the first time we've heard Andy Reid even acknowledge the possibility of seven. I know we have talked about seven a lot, and a lot of folks have talked about seven. This is the first time, and again, I I could be wrong. I'm not saying I remember every single conversation Andy Reid has given, but I don't remember Mm -hmm. him in the past saying or even contemplating seven wide receivers. That is a big, big step. Um, Are you firmly believing that Justin Watson and Richie James are locks to make this team? 
I do. I fully believe it, especially given the way that they've played. They've come out of the game, and we've seen Justin Ross with the first team. I'm, I'm imagining right now fans at home watching Patrick Mahomes throw a touchdown pass to Justin Watson just completely losing their mind because he's the first team offense once again. It, it, they like their veteran trusting guys. Andy Reid, Matt Nagy, I think even Patrick Mahomes likes players that know where they're supposed to be and they can count on them being in the spot they're supposed to be. And Justin Watson, for everything he's not, he's a speed guy. They like to have two of those burners on the, on the team. At the same time, MVS and, and Watson are your burners, and they like guys that they can trust to be in the right spot. And we saw that, you know, last year Watson had to come on and relieve Sky Moore of punt return duties, and all they wanted was a guy to go out there and catch football. I mean, worst-case scenario, he's a guy that does that. And uh, Richie James has now shown out. He's penned everything that they wanted him to be as the guy that's going to maybe be your first or second off the bench. Another guy that can replicate a little bit of what Kadarius Tony is going to bring with the jet sweep stuff and making guys miss. I think that they want that as well. So, yeah, I'm treating them both as locks to make the roster. How smooth was Richie James' punt return? That Willie Mays <laughs> over the shoulder. I'm just sitting here going, yeah. oh, my, mama, there goes that man. That is smooth. <laughs> He knew exactly. He's like, I'm going to make this look really easy, and there's no way they can put me on the roster after last year. Yeah, man, I, I am a massive fan of Richie James, but again, that is a surprise to no one who was listening to me ever before. <laughs> um, I want to get into the quarterback play. So I laid it out, again, for those who aren't still familiar with the rule. Uh, when you have three quarterbacks... All three still have to be on the 53-man roster. Mm -hmm. Now, when you have the 46-game-day roster, that third quarterback, well, that's a freebie, okay? That does not count. That final quarterback does not count against the 46-man roster. That's for the Christian McCaffrey NFC Championship game rule, basically. That's what, that is what yeah. has transpired now, okay? But I want to keep pointing out, that means all three still have to be on the 53-man mm -hmm. roster. Andy Reid traditionally has kept three on the 53-man, but not all the time. A lot of times he has still gone with two. So it's not a lock that all three make it, even though I think all three, Gabbert, Mahomes, obviously, and Bouchelle make it. What is your takeaway from these three quarterbacks? Yeah, I think Bouchelle, had he not played as well as he has, would not be on the 53, but he's, he's played very well. And he's shown, I think, the, the fact that Patrick Mahomes is celebrating you know, what he does on the field just as much as everybody else is watching him at home, like that, that shows you the connection that they have, and the fact that Andy Andy already wants to cast him on the roster based off of his previous interactions with Shane Bouchel. It, it does. It, it appears to me that he's going to make this roster, and honestly, that, that's, I think that's a good thing. I think the athletic ability that he shows it allows them to, you know, go a little bit of a different direction. You know, albeit if they need to, or if they're up by like fifty points in the the third quarter, you can get into some game action. Like that would be a good thing for Shane Bouchel to get into in NFL game that they don't need Chad Henry to come off the bench and lead a touchdown drive or to run for a third and 13 and things like that in, in monumental situation. So I, I like what Shane Bouchelle has done, what he's put on tape. And I think the natural athlete that he has, has shown, he doesn't look like he's lost anymore when he goes out there. He looks like he's reacting and reacting fast and taking information in and then making decisions and not thinking too long about it. So I'm I'm a fan of what he's done in the preseason pretty much ever since he's been here. And I'm I'm very confident he's gonna make the roster as well.
So, in regards to Blaine Gabbert, he had a very rough preseason game one. I know the numbers weren't mm-hmm. bad. It was like four of eight and a touchdown. But Richie James really saved him on that touchdown. And this one, he was seven of eight, 120 yards, 15 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, a perfect passer rating of 158.3, the one incompletion. I know folks want to have Justin Ross's back. I, I, I know Justin Ross fan club is going to come after me right now. I'm not saying it was Justin Ross's fault, but I can't definitively say it was on Blaine Gabbert. Blaine Gabbert at that point is throwing to a spot, okay? Blaine Gabbert is throwing to a spot in the end zone. He throws that well before Justin Ross breaks out of his route. Those two guys have not played together a long time. So it could have been Ross got a little switched up. I know he was wide open, but again, Gabbert threw that ball to a spot in the back of the end zone. He hit that spot in the back of the end zone. We might not never know. But Blaine Gabbert's arm strength is still there. That first game, a 43-yard completion to Richie James. In this one, the ball was coming out of his hand hot, and he had the touch on that deep one as well. What have you seen from Blaine Gabbert? Because he has very much impressed me. Yeah, he's shown pretty much exactly what you should expect out of your backup veteran quarterback. He's had some missteps, I think, playing with you know, obviously a new offense again for, what, the third time in his career, fourth time in his career in terms of changing uh, teams. He was just backing up Tom Brady, and now he's backing up Patrick Mahomes. So, I, I, again, I say that on purpose. I do believe he's going to be the backup to Patrick Mahomes in the regular season and especially in the postseason when that kind of stuff matters. So, he's again, he's looked when he's gotten in a groove. I think that's a kind of a, another theme with this team. We've seen the offense that they struggled. The, the, starting, the first team offense struggled in the first game. They didn't get anything going until they finally hit some plays in the second game, and then they were unstoppable. I think the same can be said of Blaine Gabbert. He struggled a little bit, but when he started to hit, he was hitting and he was he's making it work. And I think the second game showed you that he got some stuff worked out in practice and he found maybe they found what he's comfortable with. Maybe he wasn't comfortable with the time they were running in the first game, but they went back to the playbook and they said, okay, we're going to run this for you in the second game, see how you react. And I think that they may have found a section of the playbook where he's more comfortable. He seemed more in command. He was throwing it pretty much all over the place wherever he wanted to, and you're 100% right. He threw that ball right to his spot. And I know everyone says it landed out of bounds, but I said this on the RGR show earlier tonight. If you imagine this, 6'4 receiver, Justin Ross, who's underneath that football, guess where his hands are? That ball's not landing out of bounds. It's landing right in the bread basket. (laughs) So we have to take into consideration a 6'4 receiver changes the geometry of where that ball lands. So you have to remember that. Hell, hell, I'm 5'10". I'm keeping my feet in bounds on that one. Everyone did that growing up, okay? Everyone growing up always... Everyone. Everyone did. You would always... In your driveway, okay? Before you would hit the grass. Everyone everyone did that, okay? That ball is not going OB. That ball's getting caught. That that, that ball's getting (laughs) brought in as Daniel Harms is joining us right here on the home stretch at Sports Radio 810 WHB. Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball now, one guy that has really impressed me has been Shamari Connor. He has been everything as advertised. The versatility has shown through on the design blitzes and coverage. What have you seen from Shamari Connor in particular? Man, this is a guy who I didn't know much about when he was drafted and then I went back and I got some of his tape from Virginia Tech and I was like, this is such a spag pick, guys. He's everything that Spags wants in a defensive back. He can play corner a little bit, he can play slot, he can play safety, he can do it all. 
while blitzing. And that's exactly what, you know, Specs wants to be able to do. As a former defensive back coach, he knows exactly what he wants in his guys. And when you watch him play, they can move him around. Obviously, the, the speed as a blitzer and the eyes as a blitzer. It's not necessarily always just getting downhill. It's knowing exactly where your gap is, how fast to attack it, when to start your blitz or getting up to the line of scrimmage. All of that he times very well. The problem is we know, uh, at least if you guys watched my, my review of him on the RGR channel, is that he's tackling is his tackling is not the best. And we saw that firsthand where he should have had a tackle for loss, and then he just let the running back go. And I can tell you right now, Chanta Ingram is not that guy. He, he does not play that thing. He didn't run Kamar Connor over. He just got let go. So it, it's going to be a little bit, I think, of a consistent, f- f- more of a fundamental thing for him. We know that it used to have been – trying to really hammer down on tackling as a fundamental thing that we've seen kind of creep up over the past couple of seasons as an issue from time to time. I imagine they get that figured out. But Jamar Connor not only has been impressing, but he's been playing with the first team, rotating in with the first team. That shows you the type of ability that he has. I think the fact that Legereus needs not on the field right now also contributes to that. But rookies coming in, fourth-round rookies coming in and being able to be put in those positions and succeeding, having pressures, being able to be like right there in terms of where the ball is. He's not like behind a ton. He's not being broken off consistently. He's in good position. Again, is a thing we, a theme with these Chiefs receivers. I think that he's, excuse me, with these Chiefs defensive backs, um, being in phase with a lot of them, being very close to their break points and things like that. It's all very, very positive from Jamar Connor. And I'm excited to see him this season. Uh, when it comes to some of the guys defensively on the bubble, Cole Christensen, um, Echo Boydo, um, let's go down, Jack Conkren, Malik Herring, Matt Dickerson, Dion Bush, BJ Thompson, Danny Shelton, um, Khalif Halasi, uh, any of these guys stand out to you? Any of these bubble guys make this team? Yeah, I think, honestly, I think that with his uh, press conference today, Danny Shelton's on the roster, yeah. especially with some some of the uh, uncertainty surrounding a specific defensive tackle who will remain unnamed. <laughs> Wait, re- really quickly, Harms. <laughs> you know, Harms, when Danny Shelton was asked to do uh, the press conference, you know, for the Chiefs, when he was asked to speak, do you think he was like, holy bleep? This probably means I'm making the team. That had to be such a relief because typically, for those listening, if you are doing a, if you're talking, you know, in front of the media, if the Chiefs are selecting you to talk, typically you're making the team. You're not going to see a lot of guys who aren't on the team speaking. So I'm sure Danny Shelton was thrilled when he was uh, on the podium today. Had a little sigh of relief where, you know, the stomach kind of just drops back into yourself a little bit after you get some news. Yeah, that's one of those moments that he probably had. And that's a, honestly, it's a great, it's a great uh, story because we know Danny Shelton last year came in on the practice squad and he just, he was, he was slow out of, out of shape. And he did a great job of working with Joe Collin and the staff to get back in shape this year. And honestly, he looks quicker. He looks more impactful and it looks like he's someone that you, you know, I'm not going to say it out loud because I don't want to jinx anything. But in the event of needing him a little bit more, how about that? In the pass rush department, he might be able to provide you some more of that. So I, I do, I do think that he's going to make the roster. Uh, it, a lot of these guys, I think you have to be kind of counting the defensive tackles, especially because of what we've been talking about for the last three months of possibly not having uh, some a player to start the season, which, you know, 
We'll see about that. But at the why end are of the day, you acting like it's Voldemort? You can say his name. My, what? I don't want to say it. I don't want to jinx it. I, I've said so many things about it happening at this point. I don't even want to. Uh, <laughs> well, then say the opposite, not. Harms. Apparently, you're bad news. <laughs> That's fine. I'm, I'm saying the opposite of what I was saying now. I'm not even mentioning it. We're just going the opposite <laughs> direction. Um, but we've all been kind of wrong about the Chris Jones contract. Um, we all thought it would be done. It's not done yet. So we'll we'll see how that works. But at the, when it comes down to getting prepared for the season, you might have to have a few more bodies there at a defensive tackle with who knows what's happening with Tershawn Wharton. We don't have any idea. He might not even make this roster at this point. I don't know if he's going to play in the last preseason game. So um, maybe he's more of an injury designation later, but that's still defense tackle bodies you got to count for. Going over to the, the corners, I would love to see Boydo or Halasi make this roster. I think both have played very well. I don't think either of them were as grabby as the referees in the last game were making it out to. Out to be, we, we know <laughs> Boodle was very, very grabby. Multiple penalties and just a rough game all around. Uh, but I do think Jack Cochran's going to make the roster just out of necessity. They, they don't have another linebacker with that, that mold with the, the four guys they have in front. It seems like they might want to carry five, and I think Cochran's going to be that fifth guy, especially for special teams. So I think he's, he's in. But that's kind of all the bubble guys that I got right now. Um, we'll see how the rest of them play for you know the final preseason game, and that's going to be how we make our decision. So, so you have five linebackers, you know, you have seven wide receivers. We have these running backs. You, you know, you probably have four running backs just based on the attrition that that happens in a given season. Where are these? running or extra wide receivers coming from well we obviously know the fullback right but if you have four tight ends you're still having a plethora of spots that you got to mm-hmm. find where does this wide receiver spot come from come from if you're keeping seven so it's three tight ends without jody fortson i think it's going to be three tight ends i don't think four make the roster now that he's you know, on IR. I think that's where one of them comes from. And at the end of the day, you can survive with three running backs right now. You don't need to have, you don't need to, especially if you don't need to need the running back for a kick returner. You you have the the ability there to go with less and, and save another roster spot. Else, possible, only keep nine offensive linemen. That's uh, something as well. You don't keep ten. So there there's some things you can do here and there to to save some in the event of uh, seven wide receivers. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Harms, film analyst, RGR Football, joining us right here on the home stretch, Sports Radio 810 WHB. What have you seen from FAU so far? FAU has been mm-hmm. a little interesting candidate. Um, you know, I talked to Seth about it. He, he did a nice little film review on FAU, but I, I keep seeing all these people. It's very split in Chiefs Kingdom right now. I know Twitter's not real life, so I, I, I want to take it with a grain of salt, but it feels like people are there saying, wow, he's going to explode under the scene when the regular season comes around. And other folks are like, man, where has he been? He, he, he's been a Casper the Ghost out there. What have you seen from FAU? So I think that we need to be careful about saying players aren't showing up in terms of statistics because statistics in the preseason don't matter a ton. Maybe for wide receivers and making the roster it does, but for defensive players, all I'm looking for, specifically for pass rushers, is how are you winning? Are you winning? Uh, How quickly are you winning? Are you creating a pressure? Are you forcing the quarterback to throw the ball a hair before he wants to? And all three of those 
FAU was checking. He's checking every single box from a pass rush department standpoint. I think he's gotten a little bit better in the run game. He's looked a little bit stronger. Honestly, he looks thicker than he did at Kansas State. I don't know if it's the NFL shoulder pads or, or the weight training program, whatever it is, but he looks a little bit thicker than he did at Kansas State. And that's good for him in the run defense department, getting that technique down, you know, learning from George Karloftis in terms of having that, that run defense standpoint using that inside arm since he's going to play off the right-hand side, that left arm, really sticking it into the chest of a tackle. It's at the edge. That's something he'll consistently have to work on. But in terms of the first two games, uh, from a pass rush standpoint, he was effective in multiple ways. He was winning off the edge. He was threatening up the arc. And for those of you that don't know, when I say threatening up the arc, it's threatening that outside hip and that outside pass of the tackle. So with FAU being more of a right defensive end, playing around the left tackle that first step explosion he's beating left tackles to their mark and when you're able to do that you can then either bend or what we like to call corner where you don't necessarily bend around the edge but you take your foot and you drop it like right behind the tackle and then you take your your rush angle and you make it a straight line to the quarterback and he did that multiple times he would have done it even more in the last game if the Arizona Cardinals playing surface wasn't absolute <laughs> dog crap and he hey hey we don't make excuses Daniel we don't make <laughs> no. excuses he fell he just, he, he just fell that's all I'm saying he, he was going to corner and then he fell so he he had the the, the pass rush win and then he fell. So that, that's all I had to say about that. And a couple times where he was able to use power and not just speed to win and, and create some pressure there as well. So he is not getting home right now, but that seems to be a, a common theme with the Chiefs pass rushers early. They seem to, especially, you know, go back to George Colossus last year. He was winning. He was grading some pressures. He wasn't getting home. He got home near the back half of the season. I think that with FAU's acceleration in his speed, I think he can win a little bit faster. Maybe you might see him get some some pressures and some sacks earlier based off of that. But I'm seeing a lot of very encouraging things from the Chiefs' first-round defensive end selection in Felix and D.K. Uzama. I'm very excited to watch him this, this season. Not only is Daniel Harms a film analyst for RGR Football, he also is a fantasy football content creator for football guys. He is very, very knowledgeable in the fantasy football sphere. And before I let you go, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you at least a few fantasy football questions. Can you give me a, a, a couple of a couple of sleepers and a couple of maybe guys that we should watch out for and not go for? Because as a man who potentially has a fantasy football draft coming up next Monday, <laughs> um, no, just potentially, I, I, I'm just saying, you know, maybe I do, maybe I don't. Uh, maybe I need some advice here. Uh, give me some sleepers and some potential guys to just avoid at all cost. So I think one of the guys that right now I'm, I'm really honed in on is Luke Musgrave, tight end, uh, formerly of Oregon State now, looking like the starting tight end in both 12 and 11 personnel for the Green Bay Packers. And they're lining him up all over the field. They're using him as a blocker. And that's a really big thing for me specifically when we're looking at trying to predict how the team will use them. And, you know, he's, he's beating corners down the field with his speed. He's getting targets and some yak opportunities and some benders, some middle middle game. And he's like almost in the round 18, 19 in terms of like these deep, deeper leagues. So he's someone that I'm definitely targeting at tight end specifically for if you want to wait on tight end, you can really start hammering them there and, and go after him a little bit later. But guys that I'm avoiding right now, 
Um, I'm not drafting a ton of Travis Etienne, and it's not just the fact that they drafted Tank Bigsby. It's not the fact that the team overall is not, or he's not a great, you know, red zone running running back. He's not the best power back. It's the fact that their offensive line and the run department's bad. Last year was bottom four in the NFL. It got worse. Um, the starting rookie right tackle, I liked Anton Harrison. We all liked Anton Harrison uh, coming out. We wanted the Chiefs to draft him, but his strength was more in the pass, uh, pass protection department. He had some growing to do as a run blocker. Um, Cam Robinson's not going to play the first four games. Their interior is not good. And I just, I really do think that at heart, Doug Peterson wants a split run back field. Like, last year was the first time any running back ever got over 180 rushes in a Doug Peterson-led offense. And, and I don't think that he wants to have a 220-plus touch a rush running back. And I think Travis Etienne going you know, around RB12 right now, I don't think he's going to be able to, to fulfill that. So that's, that's just my own thing. I think we can reasonably assume, like, Geno Smith is a huge target for me. I love Geno Smith. I think he's still going to be an option for a top-10 quarterback, and he's being drafted in, like, the 15s and 16s. Um, overall quarterback, I think, you know, last year he was a quarterback five in, in fantasy, so there's a lot of options there. Um, I'm not touching Jameson Williams. You know, a lot of people want yeah. him to be part of the offense in Detroit, but right now with decision-making, he, he looks like he's not going to – be able to play. he's obviously suspended he's got some injury stuff like i'm avoiding that at all costs like the plague and i'm not touching it at all uh final question for you daniel i don't know my pick yet so this might not even come into play if you <laughs> if you have let's just say it's a let's just say it's a 10 person ppr league okay just standard ESPN, 10-person ppr just hypothetical here if you had the first overall draft pick would you go Travis Kelsey? Because I'm considering if I were to land, uh, just hypothetically, that first overall draft pick, I think I would go Travis Kelsey because he is that much of a advantage over the rest of the tight ends. Now, I understand Justin Jefferson. I get that. But Travis Kelsey over the next highest scoring tight end is such a gap. It's the Grand Canyon between those two spots. Wouldn't that be a smart move? I mean... The problem with selecting Travis Kelsey at the first overall, even with the gap, is that you're waiting 20 picks to make your next selection. And you don't have a wide receiver, especially if you're starting. It depends on, the honestly, the roster construction. If you have to start three wide receivers, how many flex spots do you have? Um, if you have to start three wide receivers, I would not draft Travis Kelsey, period. I wouldn't do it. If it's That's two. What, 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 just hypothetically, if it's two. It's two running backs, two flexes, and a tight end. Two, two, two makes it more... Stomachable. Um, I still, I, I know that it, it gives you such an advantage, and I love obviously Travis Kelsey. I, I love him. He's such a he's such a fantastic player, person, fantasy player. It's it's hard to honestly say you should do it. I'm not going to say don't do it. Obviously, uh, personally, I would still draft Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson. Um, there's a clear case, I think, for Travis Kelsey with the advantage he gives you, especially in tight end premium leagues. But it's basic, so it's I won't I won't say you're crazy. How about that? Thank you. That's all I want in life is for someone to say I'm not crazy. <laughs> I don't even need to say you're great, Sterling. I don't even need someone to say you're outstanding. I don't even need to oh, be told I'm good. I just need to be told, hey, that's not crazy. 
That's all I need, Daniel. That's all I needed from you. Make sure you follow a man who's not crazy on Twitter at inharmsway19. Make sure you check out all of his great work at RGR Football. Incredible fantasy football advice as well. Harms, always a pleasure. Always, man. Thanks for having me on. This was this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Take a quick break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to the Home Stretch Sports Radio 810 WHB. Thank you again to Daniel Harms, film analyst at RGR Football. With y'all until 10 p.m., Josh Briscoe will join us at 9 for Chiefs Talk and some nonsense, because it wouldn't be Briscoe and myself if nonsense wasn't going to be getting involved. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I would appreciate it, at HomestretchKC. You can always message me, tweet me. Uh, any questions you might have, anything you want answered, anything you want me to take a look at. You know, if you want me to dive into something, I typically do this show every single Monday on here on Sports Radio 810 from 7 to 10 p.m. So if there's ever a, a question of, hey, I want you to take a look at this guy, here's a question for you. Well, let me know. I will dive into it and see if I can find an answer for you. Chiefs, Royals, uh, Mizzou, KU, K-State, whatever you want, golf, beer. Barbecue. I'm all ears. All right. I want to get into Donovan Smith just a little bit more because, well, quite frankly, I'm excited. Donovan Smith was the biggest question mark for me. And while, yes, it's a minuscule sample size, it's only been two weeks of preseason football. I get this. The early results have me enthused. Not only that, I am going to play the both sides of the coin here, okay? I want to be fair. I want to be transparent. And for his strengths, I'm going to list. I'm also going to give his weaknesses. First, I want to go to PFF. Now, take PFF with a grain of salt. I'm not saying it's the end-all, be-all, but I do think it's a very good jumping-off point, especially for offensive linemen. Here's why. I love watching offensive line play. I watch a lot of offensive line play. I will look back at games and watch the offensive line. But I don't have time to chart and watch every single snap. You know who does that? The folks at PFF. So for that reason, I think they have a very good jumping off point, And that's what I'm going to use for this argument for Donovan Smith. We're going to go back to 2015 to start this, and we're going to go from 2015 chronologically to last year, 2022, all right? So bear with me. I'm going to go with his overall pass or his overall blocking grade, run and pass, okay? Overall blocking grade for Donovan Smith starting in 2015. 62.5, Then last year, 58.1. You know what stood out to me? Every single year was higher than the last until last year. I don't believe he fell off a cliff at age 29. He is 30 now, just turned 30, okay? That's not the age where offensive linemen just all of a sudden fall off a cliff. Donovan Smith was banged up and had a multitude of injuries last year. Not just him, but to the entire Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive line. I wonder if those numbers would have kept improving 
They went up drastically. And in 2021, that is top five bordering top. I wonder, I need to put the entire NFL left tackle category, but I, I can guarantee you an 83.3 is going to be at least top 10 bordering top five left tackle grade uh, in the entire NFL, okay? Donovan Smith was damn good in 2021. 2022 was a different story. Buccaneers team was a dumpster fire, injury and talent-wise, along that offensive line. Donovan Smith himself was injured. So what I'm saying here is, I don't think he fell off. I think 2022, that is the outlier. 2022 was not consistent in any way, shape, or form with what he had done the previous years. That, to me, says he is going to bounce back, and the Chiefs got an incredible deal on Donovan Smith. Now, I mentioned I want to be fair here, okay? So here's me being fair. The penalties aren't going to magically go away. You look at what happened in 2022, and we kept saying 12 penalties. That's true. What happened the year before? Eight. The year before that? Eleven. Year before that? Nine. Then seven, nine, 13, and 11. This is a heavy, a heavily penalized offensive tackle. That's not going to change. That's been part of his game. The progression... From rookie year until 2021 was drastic. The penalty concerns, those never went away. With double-digit penalties in two out of his past three years, that's here to stay. What I will say, working with Andy Heck, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and as we heard from Seth Kaiser, as much as Patrick Mahomes extends plays, the way he extends plays isn't conducive necessarily for left tackles to get extra holding penalties. My one concern is, and it's still there, barring injury, which is always a caveat with any player, barring injury, my only concern I currently have with Donovan Smith is penalties. Tom Brady, while yes, a much different quarterback than Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes extends plays, he gets out of the pocket, all of that. Tom Brady gets the ball out extremely quick, and there were still 12 penalties last year. What happens when Mahomes extends plays? Does Donovan Smith get handsy? My one question, because right now the early returns of Donovan are extremely, extremely promising. Take a quick break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to the home stretch. Sports Radio 810 WHB. I can't wait for week one. For Thursday night. And I know a lot of the young guys in Kansas City can't wait either. You saw Sky Moore getting interviewed on the sideline in that blowout preseason game two victory over the Arizona Cardinals. That dude has the largest smile. And you could tell how excited he was to get back to Kansas City, to hear the fans, to see himself put up big numbers now that he's in his second year here as a chief. I mean, Sky Moore was thrilled on the sideline. And when I had a chance to talk to um, Rasheed Rice, right, I was talking to Rasheed Rice, and I said, hey, man, it was at MVS's charity event. And I, and, and I said, you went from... You're going from SMU, this isn't Georgia, 
This isn't Alabama. You're going from SMU to the Super Bowl champions. The Super Bowl champions. You're about to play in front of, in front of 70, 80,000 fans. The loudest stadium in the world. And the look on his face was, was just priceless. It was like, man. When I, when I asked him, I was like, what are your thoughts? He goes, I can't wait for Thursday. And that was a long time yeah. ago. Like, these guys, these young guys are so excited. Because you could be drafted anywhere. You know, it's lucky. Of course, Will Anderson's thrilled he went, you know, third overall. Of course, Bryce Young and and uh, uh, C.J. Stroud, those guys are thrilled, right? But there's something to being drafted by a Super Bowl-caliber team. There is something about having your first game, you look up, and there's banners being raised. There's something to that. And you look around the Chiefs' culture, what have you noticed? It's not a me-first culture. It's a we-first culture. The team is a team. How often do you hear guys complaining about not getting their numbers? How often have you heard DK Metcalf? You heard A.J. Brown. I love A.J. Brown. I'm not saying A.J. Brown is a, is a massive issue. But on Tennessee, he was complaining. And the Eagles... He even said at one point, I want the ball more. Like, this is a thing. Players love getting the ball in Stephon Diggs in that situation with the Bills. Again, I'm not saying these guys aren't great players, but how many of those type of dudes are on Kansas City? Travis Kelsey's not like that. Travis Kelsey isn't like that. Mahomes isn't like that. Receivers aren't like that. I, I mean, seriously, it is an impressive situation the Chiefs find themselves in. But I do think when you look at these rookies and these young players, you grow up looking at these guys, you look at the best team in the NFL, and you don't see me-first players. So what do they do? They know how to come in, how to act, and they know the championship culture. And so when you talk to these rookies, when you talk to these guys in their second year, they're so excited. They know they've, to an extent, hit the lottery. They're not going to toil away on a bad team. They get an opportunity to play with Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and one of the best-run organizations in the entire NFL, in the entire sports world. That's an opportunity that you don't take for granted. So that's why I find it fascinating. Some of these guys, when they're drafted in the second, third, fourth, sixth, seventh, undrafted, and they're picked up by Kansas City, they leave it out all on the field. They want to stay here. They want to stay here. They don't want to go to, to Houston. They want to be a Kansas City Chief. That's why they're fighting so hard to make the roster, too. You mentioned the wide receivers. How many tough cuts are you going to have to make? Yeah. You think Amir Smith-Marset wants to be a Chief or wants to be a Chicago Bear? Yeah, or a Colt, you know? Yeah, you know, and again, I'm sure to an extent, you also want playing time. I get that. I get all that. I, I'm not going to say, you know, would you rather be a wide receiver 6-7 on the Chiefs or would you rather be a wide receiver 3 on, on another? There, there's always going to be a line. I get that. But a lot of these dudes... They hit the lottery being a Kansas City Chief. I can't wait for Thursday. Next preseason game coming up on Saturday. Before uh, we bring on Josh Briscoe, Kyle, do you like Saturday NFL games? I, I don't mind them. Especially like this it. early. I'm ready for football to be back. I, I like it because you get Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And the reason why I'm a fan, too, 
college football's not here yet. Right. Exactly. So again, yeah. I'm watching football. I'll be watching football on a Saturday in a couple weeks, anyways. Right. Get me prepared. Prepare me for college football. Take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll be joined by Josh Briscoe, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Party, baby. Party time. 
You hear that here? What day is it? It's a Monday. What? Out the gate strong with a Briscoe Monday. Am I allowed to be here on a Monday? Out the gate strong. Hey, do you know what me and Garfield have in common right now? Not the first part of what he says, but just the Monday part. I just would like some lasagna. That's all I was going to say. I love Mondays. At least I love this Monday, Stu, because I'm here with you talking about, I don't want to get ahead of your show notes, presumably talking about. Don't be presumptuous here. Chiefs preseason game numero dos. It's all right. It's an all right Monday, man. I'm I'm uh, I'm glad that we've had something resembling football to talk about. That's put a little bit of energy back in my step, uh, and I am afraid we won't see anything resembling real football still <laughs> now until uh, the Lions come to town. But uh, yeah, man, it's it's good to good to talk to you on a Monday. You know how I know football is back. How's it back? How I you know? was sitting in my little man cave. I have. Okay, mm-hmm. it's a nice little man cave. I'm on my chair. It's a nice leather chair with a nice ottoman. Dude, I got to tell you, okay. put a pin in it for a chair thing later. Coming back to a chair okay. conversation. It's got, there's a pin in it. I need to find a pin. Here. It's a, right it's here. a P-E-N. Yeah, it's a P-E-N. But okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and slam it into the yeah, drywall slam over it. there. It's, it's fine. And I had a nice bourbon. In my man chair, man cave, a bourbon's there, and I'm just sitting here. My dog's curled up right there on my legs. Yeah. Oh, baby. I'm sitting here as Mahomes throws off of one leg like he's Derek (laughs) Jeter going OB, and I go, football's back, baby. Football's so back. And the Chiefs won by 28. Blaine, Shane, it don't matter. Chiefs by 30. I mean, Blaine, Shane, a lot of Kane. (laughs) Chiefs by 30. By the way. Are we convinced his last name is Aludicon? I dude, Aludican? I'm the wrong person to ask. I've been getting it wrong the whole time. So I've been I've been saying Aludicon, uh or Ludicon, and that's how I think Roger Goodell said it, or whoever who, whoever announced him on it draft have been night. Goodell, probably. So whoever on draft night said that, and then I heard on TV it was like Olakudin or well, what is something different. We were talking about this on the zone today, and and Mick Schaefer has this correct. Maybe your dad, Mick Schaefer, as I like to call him. Mm. You guys just have a lot in common. Yeah. Maybe your lost older brother. Maybe your very barely removed there, there uncle. There needs to be a relation somewhere. Somewhere in the there, family there's tree. There's a blood test of like That's he, right. he's at least a third cousin. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but he made the right point of hey, don't trust the team sites. Don't trust the uh, don't don't trust the PR guys. Don't trust certainly anyone announcing a pick of the draft. Yeah, you got to go to their their play by play highlights like the film because the 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 play-by-play people they will mick said they'll go talk to your mom <laughs> like they will go find <laughs> out and so i have been saying olatakun this whole time because i don't know it just felt like it flowed that and, doesn't sound wrong and me, that, that sounds wrong that well that it is wrong yeah. it is wrong but i just was phonetically working with that for a while and so now that it's olatakun that's right? i was still wrong so i was saying a ludican i think it's olatakun and I, I really, I also like don't like making a bit out of getting people's names wrong on no, purpose. Because, but Jason and I are the wrong duo for me to have that <laughs> feeling for because we're both just genuinely kind of rough at it sometimes. I just feel bad because I, I know. truthfully want to be good. Me too. And I truthfully care. Oladukin, Oladukin, Oladukin. And it's like Hadukin. And what I wish is he would go on Twitter. And do what Nico Remigio did. Yes, because Nico Remigio, I won't get it wrong again. Yeah, I won't. I won't get it wrong. Those G's are not in here anymore. Those are gone. I've I've had them surgically and removed. I, and I thought it was like an Italian, like I did too. like Remigio. I was going Remigio. I was rolling the R's like Remigio. Nico Orlami. Remigio. And it's Remigio. Like in uh, Glorious Bastards. Oh yeah. <laughs> I speak Italian third best. I don't speak Italian at all. 
Exactly. Yes. Third best. Third best. The movie good. I've heard it's good. It's great movie. movie. Incredible movie. It, it's on TV a lot, and every time it's on, I'll just throw that bad boy on. You, you'll always enjoy it. Can I uh, tell you? Can I? Can, hey, can I get this pen back from over here? Yeah, yeah. Take that pen out. Take this pen out. <clears throat> there you go. That drywall is bleeped. It is. It is screwed. Um, well, it's not screwed. It's penned. Yeah. So here's my chair thing. So we have an unfinished basement, and I recently I bought I know a your basement. Uh, you've been in the basement. I've been That's in right. your basement. Not everyone in the listening audience has been. I played so I'm, cornhole in your basement. Damn right you have. So you're going to be able to envision this perfectly. I think last time you were over, well, it's still there now, so it would have been. I have that punching bag that's on like that big rack of, for a punching bag um, that you can hang a heavy bag from and a speed bag from. Yeah. It moves when you hit it. It's not very solid, and it's big for that space. So I ended up buying a, a little like strap to just hang it from like the beam because you can go right over the beam. In the unfinished basement. Sure. So I hung up the punching bag over there in the far corner. It's it's better for everybody. Um, but then I was like, well, you know what? There's also this beam continues. I would I really like we have. Have you been over since we got the egg chair? I don't think you have. Mm, no, I had. You had a booth down there. The booth is still there. Booth the is egg still chair there. is upstairs. It's one of those things. It's one of those chairs, and it really looks like the Senate seats from Star Wars. Of like, it, I mean, it's the shape of an egg, it, 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 and it hangs from that little thing, right? It hangs from its own. Like uh, I know what you're rack talking about. or whatever, yeah. 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 And you're kind of it's like a nest of some sort. Uh, you, you know, you're you're kind of in, enclosed in this yes. thing on like seventy five percent of you. It's yeah, great. yeah. It's, it's, it's really it's really nice, but it ha- it's it's pretty large. The one that we have upstairs because it has to have the whole stand for it. And sure, yeah. right? it, it's a sturdy thing. But then I well then I thought, well, I wonder if I can expand this a little bit. And so long long story short, and you're like, oh yeah, we're still in the short part of the story. We're still in the <laughs> truncating part of the story. I ended up going through Amazon long enough to find, like, different forms of hammock chairs. Oh, yeah. It's like, hey, here's a chain. Hang it over a tree branch, and you can hang from this outside. And it basically is like – it's just a little – it's a hammock chair. That's what the term is. It makes it makes a lot of sense. So I got one of those bad boys. If you think I am not coming over with Dude. a rum and pineapple and sitting my ass in that chair, you are out of your gourd. Brother, I hung the – hammock chair from that same beam on the other side of the basement. There's enough room. If no one's sitting in it, you can easily walk between the booth and the couch. It's in that yeah. little walkway. But if I'm if I'm sitting there, I can I can sit there. It, the way I hung it, it just faces perfectly towards the TV. Yeah. It's the most blissful video gaming experience I've, I've ever sure. had because you can you can sit in there and it's got a little bit of a leg rest kind of thing. You can kick your legs out. Mm. It'll, it'll hold it up a little bit. Yeah. But really, that sweet spot comes in when you say, no, I'm going to go ahead and I think in my case, return to some sort of marsupial roots or at least a marsupial sort of spirituality. You are a marsupial kind of dude. I'm in the pouch now. Yeah. We just call it my pouch because I get in this hammock chair. You can kind of pull your feet up in it. You got a little blanket. It's a little chilly in the basement. Oh, the winter. Oh, the winter's going to be perfect, Sterling. Pull that uh, little blanket up and in. Now, all of a sudden, you're not touching the ground. You're not mm. even touch- you're not touching the ceiling. You're barely touching the sides of the hammock chair. You're just there in zero gravity, floating, holding a video game controller, playing some Cult of the Lamb. That, to me, was the – that was a couple hours I really needed on Sunday. You're no longer Joshua Briscoe. You're yeah. Joey Briscoe. Wow, yeah. Joey bag of video games. Yeah. I think that's. I think that's right. I'm. I'm. You know, you're a Joey now. I'm spiritually a baby kangaroo. I'm spiritually. For those that don't know what a Joey is. A, Sorry, I had to explain. If you didn't grow up watching 
Jack Hanna or whatever, or, or, I guess. Uh, the wild thornberries. You or might, the, not, the, you might the, uh, not know this. I almost said the Katz brothers. That's Chris Jones's agents. Yeah. <laughs> the Krat brothers did Zaboomafu and they're on PBS later. Wild Kratz. You know what we should do is we should call the Katz brothers up. Yes. Chris Jones's agents. Holy And bleep. they're probably just so tired. They're they're sick of this. All the media out. Uh-huh. We go, we got something different for you. It's not regarding Chris Jones. Are you related or know what a, a Joey Pouch is? Are you related to the Kratz brothers? And they'll say, K-R-A-T-T. we'll confuse them so much. Eventually they say, we'll tell you what Chris Jones is doing if you'll just get off the line. I'm going to say that there's, an, yeah, it's they're the Kratz brothers, K-R-A-T-T. Again, Zaboomafu. Everyone remembers Zaboomafu, I hope, right? If you, I mean, that was a beautiful part of my childhood. Is Chris Pratt part of the brothers? Not involved. Okay. But if I call the Kratz brothers, I'm going to get them on the show. Let's, I think this is now the plan for me by the end of the week. I'm going to get the Kratz brothers on the zone. And it's just going to be, what does Chris Jones want? Tell us. What are you hiding from us? And then also, if you could give us a fun fact about lemurs, I'd really appreciate yeah. that. This to me is uh, an important radio bit that I'm I'm glad we've we've solved. Anyway, I feel like I'm I feel like more of a possum in that pouch because we're a possum family, you know, and they are America's only native marsupial, yeah. which people forget. They eat ticks and stuff. No, we so. don't forget it because you you've said it every single week you've been on the show. You just took a week off, so maybe people forgot. In that week off, you were I guess I was technically I think gone. Protect your local marsupials. Uh, question for you though. Do you feel more protected when you are a Joey in that little egg chair? Uh-huh. Or do you think the quarterback for the Chiefs yeah. feel more protected? Because Patrick Mahomes just ain't getting hit. This offensive line is a battering ram of of muscle. It, it, it is thoroughly impressive, the fact that Mahomes can just sit back there saying, I want to get hit once. Like, let me get hit once. The offensive line's like, sorry, pal. We're protecting you. I, I don't understand how... Like, I don't want to understate how good a small sample size. Mm-hmm. I get all this. But how good the offensive line has been. Remember when Orlando Brown Jr. signed last year? Or whenever, whenever he signed. Mm-hmm. And, and, and two, two, two years, years ago. Yeah, yeah. Trade, yeah. And, and he was, oh, Mahomes isn't going to get hit. He's not going to get touched. Well, that surely did not happen. But this offensive line is basically saying, hey, we're going to pick up with what he actually said instead of what he did. First of all, one of your better segues. I just wanted to shine a light on it. I know, I know how much that either inflates or deflates you when you drive home at night. Just wanted you to know that was a fun one. Um, and yeah, man, it's the story of the preseason so far for the Chiefs, and certainly the story of that Cardinals game. Um, it was oh, I don't have the. You know what? I'm going to see if I've, I don't think I think I had to restart my laptop because I lost Wi-Fi. I did. Well, so here's what the, the what it boils down to: in Week One of the NFL preseason, the two of the three most pressured quarterbacks in the in the game. Uh, in, in week one of the preseason were Russell Wilson and Jarrett Stidham. Broncos quarterbacks, first and third in pressure rate in the first week of the preseason. Josh, why are you telling me about pressure rate stats in the first week of the preseason? Because they played the Cardinals in week one. Mm. I'm not saying that the Chiefs definitively proved in 20-whatever snaps on Saturday that their offensive line is going to be able to hold down the best defensive lines in football. But in the mandatory, extremely small sample size, preseason games, all the asterisks that come with that, Last time the Cardinals took the field, they were putting quarterbacks in hell. And on Saturday, against the Chiefs and that offensive line, they didn't get close to Patrick Mahomes. Seth Kaiser, in the Chief in the North newsletter, uh, he did a film review of the O-line. I think his final tally was 17 or 18 pure pass block reps. One pressure. That one was a bit of a, a still a bit of an unknown. It could have gone either way. And was the one where Jawan Taylor had his head ripped off, illegal hands to the face, defense, 
there was a penalty there anyway. It didn't even end up hurting the Chiefs. So it, it, we can we can get into the weeds some if you want with like Donovan Smith, and I, I really think he's fascinating and ultimately was the most under-discussed element of the Chiefs all throughout camp, before camp, during camp. In terms of what his impact will be and what we did not know about him, he was the guy that I was perpetually saying, do we want to talk about the O-line? Do we want to talk about Donovan Smith? How do we feel about where this is going? Um, but if if what we've seen through these first two weeks in that first-team O-line is any indication, Patrick Mahomes is going to have the most boring season in the pocket of his career, <laughs> and I am absolutely here for every second of it. He ran out right and tried to do a jump through. He's like, I'm too bored. I, I'm ha- just I bored. have to do something. Which, by the way, that was sick, and he will do that again that ends in a completion, he is literally, we had a caller say this on postgame, he is literally changing the dimensions of football. That, that I, I had to think, is that legal? Like, yeah, in, in my I mind, I go, is that legal? I know. Yes, it is legal. It, it is. I know Bengals fans, Joe Burrow made a play that wasn't even close to that, but if you want to say similar and went for a touchdown, I know Bengals fans are becoming a little unbearable right now. Um, you know, they're a little insecure at times, but but like, I'm like, happens to like I'm like, one. yeah, it was a great play by Joe Burrow, and, and quite frankly, with the touchdown, good for you guys. But it wasn't even close to what I haven't even seen that one. It wasn't even close to online. Mahomes legitimately Derek Jetering a ball That's right. across his body, that, across his body. Did you see? I think I'm like 95 percent sure it was on that same play. And Mahomes retweeted it today. My guy Zach Eisen over there at Arrowhead Report um, tweeted out the little screenshot. He said, just take a second and imagine. I love Trav so much. Um, Mahomes, I think that's the same. He's definitely sprinting to the right side. This, to me, looks like that play. Mahomes is sprinting to the right, sprinting to the right, and Travis Kelsey is 20 yards downfield all the way on the other side of the numbers on the left side. Just no one's around him. No one's even near him. Just one hand held, left hand up in the air. Just, hey, Pat, over here. And here's the crazy thing. Mahomes has made crazier throws than that. He's made crazier throws than that. That is a 80-yard pass that goes for 20. It that, is literally <laughs> the, it is the right sideline, nearly to the left sideline, 20 yards downfield, and it wouldn't be the crazy. It, wouldn't, it, might, it might not be the craziest throw Patrick Mahomes has made in the preseason. If he, oh. Leaving his feet going out of bounds, I think it probably would have taken that title. Yeah. Uh, but my goodness, man, I love that. Two things. It's almost like the Tyreek Ravens throw a little yes. bit with less pressure, obviously, because yeah. it's preseason and not fourth and nine. And also, congratulations, Josh. It looks like Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes uh, pay attention to the Arrowhead Report. That's what I was seeing. Zach, so, Zach getting that that little retweet today was, uh, was a nice report pop. Fans. Zach does good work. Uh, he does. Before we get back to Donovan Smith and the offensive line, no I never want to talk about Donovan Smith and the offensive line. I've been trying for I months. love talking about the offensive line. I have talked perpetually about the offensive line and Richie James. But I also <laughs> want to talk about Donovan Smith specifically. But i got to give a shout-out to Dylan for being back from Ireland. Ireland. Did you see some other news from Dylan today? This man right here. Official. It's official. Ink it. Hashtag committed. Hashtag no transfers. Hashtag the zone. Dylan Michaels, officially your producer from 10 to 2 o'clock, right? You're on the Sports Radio at 10 yes, WHB. Congratulations, yes, Dylan. You didn't tell me. Wow. Okay, I, I cool. didn't have a lot of time. But. <laughs> who, who tells me things less? You or Beards? Because Beards. Beards, dude. Beards got well, married. Me and Beards and are almost boat racing here for the quietest. You went to. I, okay, person he here. got married and didn't tell me. Or you got engaged, didn't tell me? Yeah, engaged, and to be fair. To, to be fair, yeah. Did you get, you weren't at his wedding, were No, you? I was not invited, which, no, no, it's cool. I got I didn't the Christmas present, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> that's quite thoughtful, too. Oh, hey, uh, hey, Stu, here's your question. Yeah. Beard's on your list right now? So, Dylan. Oh! 
I'm not getting into it, okay? I the, the guest list is is Beards and Dylan, who's OLI, who's got a seat. It's perpetually in motion. <laughs> um but Dylan went to Ireland, didn't tell me. I, I knew he was going to He's Ireland. now going to the zone, well, didn't tell me. He'll still produce the home stretch weekdays on ESPN Kansas City. I'll start 3 to 4 p.m. 3 to okay. 4 p.m. Well, good. I was about to say, is my, is my producer just leaving me without telling me? I was like, no, Damn. man. Oh, no. Hell no. no. In I fact, like and it. also announcing right now, I'm going to be ho- co-hosting the home stretch with you every single day from 3 to 4. You're welcome, Sterling. I'll be here in this chair every day. I don't believe it. No, you shouldn't want that. Just either. how I don't believe how good Donovan Smith has looked. There it is. Because the Segways said this dude's Paul Blart on the mic. <laughs> He's a Paul Blarton on the mic. <laughs> because of the Segways. Oh, Paul Blart right. I segways. do wish I had a Segway uh, to ride around the office. That'd be sweet. That'd be pretty cool. You, how did you never get a hoverboard in the in the peak of? Of I can occasionally see in Sterling's eyes when he has that look of please let's just talk about football don't do this to me people are going to hear this with the show has my name on it um, <laughs> but I'm just a guest so I get to come in through the I get I understand how you're feeling but it's just that I have all my little Molotov cocktails um, how did you not end up with like a little hoverboard of some sort when that was really at peak popularity so I tried one uh, I was in my parents neighborhood one of my good friends we were hanging out his his brother in law lives in my parents' neighborhood, uh-huh. and they have a whole bunch of kids, and um, they had one of those ones. It was a one-wheel. I don't know if you know oh, what yeah, a one-wheel sure. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those things go up to, like, 20 miles an hour. Too fast. Like, no, it, it's literally, like, 20 miles an hour. Right. Did, didn't know it. First time ever I go, I've skateboarded. Yeah. I go, I know it. It's wheel in the middle and kind of, like, little platforms yeah, on little each platforms. side, right? Okay. And to go fast, you just lean forward. Yeah, And that. you start going. Well, oh no! Yeah, I've skateboarded before, uh-huh. easy. But I'm on asphalt, and I don't know if this is meant for for the road. Yeah, uh, I'm going 20. I'm going as fast as you possibly can because I didn't know it went that fast. I figured this is like a five mile an hour thing. I'm uh-huh. like, you have kids, sir. Yeah, these are kids that are riding this thing. But apparently, they obviously know the rules to not go that fast. They listen, <laughs> uh, not me. They also know how to stop, and that's and that's where this story gets good. Oh, no. uh, I'm going 20 miles an hour, no, and I am I'm I'm turning. I'm wobbling. Okay, I'm wobbling hard, and I am screaming, how do I slow down? Yeah. How do I stop? Uh, he goes, lean back. Oh, no, Sterling. No, 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 no. I lean back. No, 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 no. This one wheel, very cartoon-esque, shoots out from underneath my feet, going 20 miles an hour. I land directly on my ass. Better your ass than the back of your skull, yeah. man. That's what I was afraid that was going to end with. Well, we might have usually. Got, ends, we we yeah. might have gotten a little skull action in there, but too. But you started ass but first. But I, I went ass first, and it was on the bone. Oh, dog. That's a couple weeks of you were just sitting down. Well, I don't. this is not to be crude or anything. I think that bone is called the coccyx. I thought it was called you the sits bone. Okay. I thought it was called uh, the sits bone. Napoleon Dynamite. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, yeah. Grandma fell off a dune buggy. Holy cow. Uh, good so. pull. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so I landed Great on that pull. bad boy, and then then I had a little skull hit action. I may have been concussed a little bit. We don't know. Um, I wasn't going to go to the doctor, that's for sure. I'll just I turn the lights off and go to bed. I never. Oh, that's bad advice, kids. Don't take that. Was it, Sterling was making a joke. Don't. If you hit your head really hard and you don't feel very good, don't lay down and go to bed. Go, go to the doctor. Stay please. awake. And, please. Stay awake and go to a professional. Please go to the doctor. Ideally on something with four wheels that someone else is operating. So I... I uh, that was my experience, the one wheel. Yeah. And to answer your story in a long story, 
that's why I don't have a hoverboard or, yeah. or one wheel. I learned my lesson. I get it. I yeah. what I really think that you need, and maybe both of us need, maybe all three of us need um, to retire is <laughs> is to retire from, at least from all physical activities because we're apparently washed. But like one of those little glowing two wheel hoverboards that I think do go about five miles an hour. That I could see you whipping up and down the hallway on that thing. Just I want Heelys, quite frankly. See, we can just bring back Heelys. I was yeah. never very good at them. No, I wasn't. Either. I had a pair, and, and I was so excited to get them, and I yep, was same. such a loser because I couldn't even do them. So I just took the wheels out because I also the wheels. <laughs> definitely did that. I think I got it for maybe a garage sale at some point, but eventually took out the wheels and just put in that little flat shoe thing. And yeah, they're cool shoes. I, I, you know, I'd put they're the wheels sick. in my backpack or something to never use. Yeah. You put them in around teachers to make yourself look cool. So you're like, well, you wouldn't know. That'd be your mom. Yeah, she bought them for me. Yeah. So she knew I was lame. Uh, so Donovan Smith, not lame. Dude, not on wheels. Not on wheels. Talk about a left not tackle who's skates. not on skates. Look at us. Again, preseason. Time for a break. More home stretch. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I understand the caveat, the preseason, all this stuff. Health has obviously been a concern with him throughout. Yeah. So, so we need a larger sample size, and but he looks more like the guy who was progressing into his age twenty seven, twenty eight uh, year right. season in Tampa Bay, and not the guy who fell off a cliff last year when it was a perpetual rotation at left guard and at O line when he was perpetually banged up. My one concern still remains with him, mm. and it's a big concern. Mm-hmm. When Mahomes extends plays his issue in tampa was the penalties that was Mm -hmm. a big issue for him when he extends uh, plays mahomes does is he going to hold is he going to get a little handsy so far we haven't seen that and so far quite frankly mahomes hasn't had to make those plays because the pocket has been just perpetually good i'm enthused by the early returns of an extremely underrated undervalued cheap signing again there are still concerns that 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 arise. I'm not saying this is all. This is what he is for the rest of the year, but the early inklings of what he is is really really nice. And, and it's the, the parts of it that made it a good signing at the time are also reasons that I am willing to forego a little bit of those caveats about sample size. Now, look again, the preseason aspect is what it is to me. If this was two full regular season games, I would be saying what I'm about to say with I'd like buy no a caveat. Smith jersey, probably seriously, because. The thing, the thing that makes me a believer now is being able to look back at Tampa and say, "All right, I'm I'm pretty sure now I can pinpoint the reason that his career took one big step back last season after continually being a really good left tackle. Maybe he was never the best tackle left tackle in football. I mean, he wasn't, but but maybe he was never. I don't know what your cutoff would be. Was his was he a top five tackle in his best year? Maybe was he a top ten tackle in his best year? Yeah, I think so. But what happened last year? Was last year him getting old, getting lazy, losing his technique, whatever? No. Last year, he got hurt early. He got hurt multiple times. I think maybe, I'm, I, I'm pretty confident in two injuries. There might have been a third one that got mixed in there at some point. And the type of stuff that really makes your life very, very hard as an offensive lineman. Now, your body's not responding the way you want it to. You don't have the strength in the same place you needed it to be. So what do you do to compensate? You start getting a little handsy. You start getting a little grabby. Uh, you don't feel like you can trust the guy to your side. Well, how about I give you Joe Tooney this time through? You maybe benefit from having someone who can buy you a little bit of time. Congratulations. You've now moved from Tom Brady to Patrick Mahomes. And the other element at the time was it was reported as, what, a 6 or $7 million signing? Yeah. Up to. Up to was the key phrase there. <laughs> it's one year, $3 million, and maybe there's some more, some more around there, whatever. It's not... It, it did not keep the Chiefs from signing DeAndre Hopkins. It shouldn't keep them from signing uh, Carlos Dunlap. We'll see, I guess. Yeah, well, but 
We'll Give see. me Chris Jones. It's really Chris re- Jones. It's really you. Re- you re-sign Chris Jones yes. to a longer deal, and uh, you're looking pretty good. That that's just that ends up falling to Jones. But in terms of the offensive line, when they made that signing, they they added the most experienced starter and a guy who had a clear and reasonable path to a higher level of play. That always made sense to me. And then you say, all right, we've got you, Juwan Taylor kind of picking a side. Wanya Morris is a rookie. Lucas Niang, who we're not sure if he's ever going to get back to who he was pre-Patella injury. And Prince Tegan Winogo, who's been around for a while, has gotten a couple of reps. All of these guys are where we're starting from. Adding one more option to that left tackle group was always a good thing to me. Add a veteran to a group that doesn't have one, sweet. Ultimately, seems pretty clear that, that he is in shape for that job. So I want to bring something up here. Starting with 2015, I'm on PFF right now. Again, I think PFF you always take with a grain of salt. I'm not saying it's end-all, be-all, mm-hmm. but it's a good jumping-off point, especially, I think, at the offensive line, defensive line, a lot of times because they're charting every single snap sure. where we we don't have the manpower. It's it's often anecdotal, yes. the way that we yeah. talk about offensive lines. So here's what he did starting in 2015 up until last year. 62 point. This is a, this is overall, by the way. Okay. I'm going overall because I don't want to go through all the numbers and take too sure. long. Yep. Overall, 62.5, and then 58.1. Yeah. First takeaway: He legitimately progressed and got better every single year yeah. until last year. That was by far his lowest number. Not even close. Even his rookie year was a decent amount higher yep. than last year. Okay? So that tells me that is the outlier. That's the outlier. That is the outlier. He's 30 years old. We're not talking about a 39-year-old. This is 30. Yep. Okay. The one other thing that's a little bit more of a negative, because I want to be fully transparent here, the penalties. Yeah. Okay? Because that is, again, the concern. Yep. He had 12 last year, but let me start back again at 2015. 11, 13, 9, 7. Nine, eleven, eight, twelve. He's been double digits four times in his career. Two in the past three. Okay. Yep. So the concerns are still there. Sure. But again, what he was last year is not who he is. That's not who he has been. It was a great bet by the Kansas City Chiefs. And that's not split by type of penalties or anything, right? That's just number of penalties called on him. Is that correct? Correct. That's all I have in front of me right here. So if he if he jumps off sides in week one as he's getting used to a new quarterback in a loud stadium for the first time with a new cadence, that that doesn't bother me. If 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 he ends up with eight to ten, just pick a nice number we like, uh, and an eight to ten penalties called against him this year, starting seventeen games, that's that's okay if he's playing good football around it. And again, I, I really do think when you can draw that through line back to health. And such a clear step back. If he still looked like that guy right now, you could say, oh, he just didn't recover from the injury. He never will, whatever. Harder for older guys to bounce back. But like I just mentioned, Lucas Niang, who in his last action before he tore tore that patella tendon, was looking like he was playing some of his best football. And he has not looked like that guy in the preseason this year since. And I've always kind of liked Lucas Niang. that, That bums me out. But... It's a really interesting arc to follow for Donovan Smith, and and I am 80% believer, 20% skeptic at this point, and and that's a I say that with a pretty big smile on my face because yeah. uh, I was 60-40 maybe when they <laughs> signed him, and I still felt like I was the outlier because I was 60% optimistic about it. Now it's I, again I'm I'm. 80% bought in, I think, fully now. Maybe more. And, and again, just for those listening at home, if you're listening to the penalties and saying that seems a little arbitrary, here's what Orlando Brown Jr. did his two years in Kansas City at left tackle. Uh, seven, 
first year at left tackle here, and then it was six last year. Interesting. So uh, about half, about half uh, on the six to twelve. Sure. Um, when he was at right tackle, it was actually a lot less. He had three, three, and five. I wonder. I wonder how much of that is just like, oh, I'm outmatched. Yikes! Grab. I don't know how much. Don't kill Mahomes. Yeah, yeah, left tackle versus right tackle. Mm-hmm. You know, I. If the Chiefs and the Ravens have different viewpoints, also the Chiefs drop back way more often than the Baltimore Ravens. That's a great so that's point. Probably yeah. a, a point as well. I will say the Buccaneers drop back to a ton. Yeah. With, with, with Tom Brady, so you would imagine it to be those were shorter, quicker reps. Though I mean, if you yeah. want, if you wanted to be concerned about that, you could say plays last longer in Kansas City. But I also want to be optimistic because what we have seen has been completely optimistic. We have not seen the penalties. We have seen him move his feet. He's got dancing bare feet. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been very, very enthused by. Donovan Smith. Me too. I've been honestly enthused by Jawan Taylor because I was more of a skeptic than most. Uh, I've been a skeptic based on the people I talked to. I've been a skeptic based on some of the PFF numbers. I've been a skeptic based on the contract. So far, again, the early returns, the Chiefs knew that he would fit their system. He would fit their scheme. And that's what we have seen. I will also point out, I have loved, love, love, love Wani Morris. I think Wani Morris has looked like the swing tackle that Chiefs can rely on. I like Cam Irvin because he was always likes to fight guy. He yeah. always had your back. But Cam Irvin, as far as on the field, not the best swing tackle. Wanye Morris, that also allows Kansas City to potentially keep seven wide receivers, maybe only keep nine offensive linemen. A lot of years it's nine or ten. This helps him keep only nine if Wanye Morris can really be that swing tackle. Uh, and again, Darian Kennard, another guy who I've seen this preseason where I've been pretty impressed with him at right guard. That was more of the first game in particular where I really noticed mm-hmm. him standing out. But I go... All right, that's the fifth rounder. That's the project they drafted from Kentucky. That wasn't a finished project. We knew it was going to take time, but if he can be a backup. Sorry, I didn't, want, I didn't mean to cut you off. We knew it was going to take, take time. We knew it was going to happen at guard. No one believed the tackle thing was going to work. They tried it for a year anyway. The whole league knew he was going to be a guard. Yeah, the Chiefs thought maybe he's a tackle. Maybe he wanted to be a tackle. This, this, you make this more is where the growth is. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But but And also the Chiefs have so much depth at tackle right now compared to even guard. Yep. That they're even for them, they're like I get tackles a more lucrative position, oh, but maybe more valuable, quote unquote, if you will. But it makes sense. I will also say I love Nick Allegretti. And who's who's out of contract after this season? Nick Allegretti. If Darian Kennard could be a rookie contract back up both guard spots next year after Allegretti potentially gets a deal somewhere else, yeah, you're you're good with that. The, the thing I will say with Allegretti, what what, what makes me um, like him so much mm-hmm. is he also can play center. It's my favorite thing in the world. I played center in high school. I, I, I am I am deeply, deeply happy to have a guy who can do all three spots. Well, be, be, because... It, I'm it, not being sarcastic. It, no, no, but it allows you to not have a, a specific center on you can, your Austin Ryder. You can keep Austin Ryder on the practice squad. If Correct. Creed misses more than, more than a few snaps, if he misses a full game, you bring him up to your, your yep. active roster, standard elevation, bring him on full-time, depending on what the injury is, whatever, 100%. But you only have to have one guy, at, and you'll have multiple interior sure, guys. Sure. You only have to have... Nick Allegretti active to have one feasible backup at left guard, center, and right guard. And that rules. The Chiefs' offensive line is going to be the deepest in the Chiefs' Mahomes era. It's going to be the best, in my opinion, in the Mahomes era. Because it's good. Well, Eric Fisher, Mitchell Schwartz, as great as Schwartz was, mm-hmm. that interior is not anything close to what it is now. And if the early, 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 early 
returns of Donovan and Jawan Taylor say anything, uh, this looks to be like a damn good top five, bordering top three offensive line in the NFL. Sure does. I'm really excited to see it. I'm excited to see it against Aiden Hutchinson and a real defense that's really trying to get there. Yeah. But it's hard to be more encouraged by a couple of preseason games than we should be right now. Take a quick break. Come back. Briscoe sticking with us. Yeah. Home stretch right after this. Briscoe Monday. <laughs> All right, Dylan. I didn't get a chance to ask because we were so uh, enthusiastically talking about Donovan Smith and the offensive line. How was Ireland, man? Was it fun? That was a blast. Did you Good golf? Time. Did you drink some beer? I didn't did you? I did drink a lot of beer. Did you got any fist fights? Did you have someone no. make you a wool we sweater? Saw some. We saw some fist fights, of course. So. Did you did you bring back a, a souvenir of some sort that you're like the most oh, tickled with? Buddy. That you're like, ah, oh, this right I think here. You'll enjoy the souvenir I, I got. I it's a wait. Guinness wool sweater. That I did say a wool you sweater. You said a wool I sweater. sweater. Wool that sweater. made me think. I no, no, no. It's fine. I we're just happy for you. A Guinness wool sweater. Go and wear that in tomorrow, would you? Will do. Yeah, it's gonna be it might be a little hot. <laughs> wear it a few times this week, would you please? Uh, Dude. It actually will work for the control room because that usually is cold as a refrigerator. So oh, I'm so excited. Uh, maybe. Maybe. I am saving it for my with my paperboy hat. The bus. Ooh, that's gonna be a great look. Oh man, you're gonna look like you've got some news to share out of the world of Peaky Blinders. Oh, I can't wait. Yes. You see him with a little newsboy cap and his. Oh, you beard. have that. You get a newsboy oh, yeah. cap. I'm officially bald now. So that, you you are bestowed that hat. You are allowed <laughs> to wear that. Hat yeah, you, you can. it's the gold bald. jacket of the bald brotherhood. Exactly. You, you know how. You've been playing Immaculate Grid, or at least I have. Mm-hmm. The reason why I said Jerome Bettis was I went from you said refrigerator, so I went to the fridge. Remember the old the old uh, the old play the Bears ran, and then I th- went to the fridge to the bus, and I went from the bus to Jerome Bettis. And I'm sitting here going, what has sports done to my mind? Where I'm just like, I make correlations from going from There's refrigerator, so- and I go Jerome Bettis. I didn't the bus. even I didn't even second guess it, man. That's how broken our brains are. I was like, like, yeah, sure. Immaculate Grid has turned my brain to mashed potatoes. When I'm trying to do correlations, not even now on teams, but going from fridge to bus. And I go, Jerome Bettis. Speaking of, uh, speaking of, what did you say, mashed taters? What was the, what did you, sorry? I had potato skins last night. Something about uh, potatoes. What was the best thing you ate, Dylan? Because that that's also, and if you need to have a couple of options, I, I hear you. But I, I that's really my favorite trip things. Like, best favorite thing you did, best thing you ate. Coolest thing you brought we back. We got to guess. Oof. I know what it's going to be. We got to guess? Yeah, you want to go with It's fish and chips. Man. Ooh, I had some good See, fish and chips in the UK, but I wouldn't have guessed bangers that. Bangers and mash. Now, that is, it's good. It's very good. Isn't that just However, sausage and potatoes, basically, right? Did you eat the, the beans on? The full Irish breakfast. What's the full Irish? Down. They will, it's different everywhere. If you get a good one, it is basically two meals in one for about $12. They give you three different types of sausages, a sunny side up egg, hash brown, Toast and do they do the beans? No, there's no beans whatsoever. Okay. There's something else on there. I think fruit or something. I can't remember. But is it, it is just a, a tomato? <laughs> that's exactly what else. No, is on that's there. so disappointing. Right. I was going to say that it's Ireland a figured cut it out. In half tomato. It's not diced Dude. or anything like that. They just cut one tomato in half and set it there. The uh, UK and Ireland. I, I, I'm happy you enjoyed the breakfast, but dude. That is not a breakfast I'm ever going to want to order. They do a lot of salmon and scrambled eggs. The so. best, the best thing, maybe maybe the best thing I had in England, 
in in London was a little. I think it was in London that we did that. It might have been in Barcelona. That I'm thinking about it. I don't know. We traveled. Did I mention I've been to Europe now? I'm very I'm very cultured. But we went to this a place. Sucks, we went to a place for brunch, and I, <laughs> and I ordered what was called the salmon guaca scramble. And it was like cubed. Oh, I didn't think it'd get worse. oh, dude, it was so good. You gotta at least let me explain this one because this one's got like good stuff on it. Renee got a full English at one point, and I like took a couple bites and was like I it, I wanted to like it, and it was not happening for me. Blood sausage and stuff, not for me. But the salmon guaca scramble, diced smoked salmon, uh, on top of a couple of like thick cut slices of I think sourdough, some sort of thick cut bread. It was delicious. Um, some ooey gooey scrambled eggs, some smoked salmon. And some uh, guacamole on top. That is the oh, most God, San Francisco. Good. It was in 20, it was in Europe, dude. Twenty three dollars. What was this breakfast I've ever heard? It was it was probably euro. it was probably about twelve fourteen euro. Renee got a stack of pancakes that had pav- had pavlova on the top. Um, think I th- I think it's, that's, that's right. a Russian author. Come on, it's like a it's like a. Um, you know, like on a on a meringue pie, you know yeah. how the meringue would be. If it, but if it was really hard and crusty, so like you 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 tap it and it cracks. It's almost it's a very hard texture to draw an analogy to. Can, can but I it was just, delicious. I was gonna say America. That place ruled. You guys are doing a phenomenal job with your breakfast. I agree with it. America. This, this, no, no, you're right. America has the breakfast thing down. America has the best breakfast, in my opinion. It's not even close. not the portion thing down because that's in Europe. The difference Ooh, is really portion. I I feel like you get more for your money like, in Europe. I think so. Ooh, I think interesting. For a breakfast that size, there's, there's no way. Dog, I ain't paying twelve bucks for breakfast. I, sorry. I'm oh, out. Stu, you, when's the last time you went out for breakfast, my guy? Oh, I, oh I, I make it at home. I get, I get my great bacon. I get my eggs. I get my sourdough toast with some blackberry jam. They're all free. Sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> you have to buy that stuff though, yeah, and then make well, it yourself. Well, come on now. You got free bottomless mimosas too, or yeah, I love mimosas. All right, new game, new game, everybody. And you can exp- whatever corners of the world you've you've walked to, which you know for me and Dylan is a lot. For Sterling, who knows? One last thing though, the chicken sandwiches there are amazing. Ooh. Because of the portions, it feels like they don't know that you have to try and fit the chicken <laughs> under the actual bun. You don't. It comes a sandwich. Yeah. So no, it was uh, it was pretty good stuff. I don't think I had fried chicken almost anywhere in Europe. They do good. I had a couple. I had some great kebab stuff. Some great. Uh, a big kebab. Oh guy. my god. Big kebab guy. Um. Some some great uh, goat. Some great. Anyway. Yeah. So go ahead. What was your question? Here's the question, fellas. You are only allowed to eat one genre of food for the rest of your life, and I'm I'm going I'm going something kind of vague like genre because one meal is way too specific, in one category I don't know. So figuring out where this lands is going to be tough. I, I I'll stall for you. And I I think I have my. I think I have my two answers and my, my top two answers, and then one heartbreaking uh, others getting votes. Yeah. Um, if you've got it, fire it off. If not, I'll tell you where I'm at, so you guys can let I'm, the wheels I'm turn. I'm deciding, and I, and I want to get your guys' thoughts. Italian is is broad, okay? Because Italian can be a lot of things. That is broad. That Italian, I didn't even cross you, my you mind. Can do, you can do pasta. I can do my my big ziti. A lot big of lot guy. of carbs. Uh, but see, that's why I thought I go I go if I get if I get Italian. You know who's not playing softball? Yeah. You know you know who's you're becoming a softball. I'm becoming a softball. <laughs> I go so I think it, I think Italian's out for me. Um, I'm gonna eliminate one for you. I'll, let's do that. Let's do one that we're not picking here. Yeah, okay. Okay. Like American bar food, fried. F- I love a chicken sandwich. I love chicken wings. I oh, love no, a burger. Yeah, even, I love no, all of that. No, not even close. Fries, tots. I love them. It can't be my daily. 
No. So that, that's my like third choice that's falling just short. We all short. agree there. Yeah, we're, we're on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So barbecue <sighs> is is the one that's going to be a heartbreaker to me, and and I think. It's just untenable. I didn't even think of that. So barbe- no, barbecue was was so close because I eat barbecue more than any other food probably. Do you really? Yeah, I, lo- I do. I eat so I eat it so much. I, I love, love it, but I but like I just feel like again I feel like it's a little bit untenable and also impossible to make at home. Is that a part of this game? I'm not sure. I haven't decided. So it came down then to two things, impossible, two things for me. Impossible to make it that quality. Do I want to be healthy? Yeah. And go Mediterranean, big Mediterranean mm. guy. Lo- love Mediterranean olives, feta cheese, mm-hmm. hummus, hero, a euro. Come on. You said We're, you said it like the. Like the coin. It's a euro. It's a euro. It's pin and pin, okay? We're not doing this. But then I think I got to go uh, a nice... You can buy a euro with a euro. W- Flame and yawn. Mm. Mashed potatoes. This isn't Mediterranean anymore, right? Asparagus, yeah. Okay. I, I think I almost have to go upscale. Is that upscale American? You're on Steakhouse. I'm going Steakhouse. Steakhouse food. Because I don't think... That's I, just as untenable to me as barbecue, You know I why? Think. I can have a filet for breakfast. I'll do it. Yeah, I'll have, a, I'll have burn-ins for breakfast. I've done that. Yeah, I might. Yeah, I might live twelve more years total. <laughs> but I am going out on top, having a nice bourbon, a fillet, a cigar, and I'm hitting some three hundred twenty-yard drives. Am I three putting? You better believe I am. But guess what? That fillet is going to taste just as good. Medium to medium rare, please. That's a good take. I you didn't mention either of my top two vote getters. Dylan, do you know where you settled yet, or do you want me to fire off my my current takes? My my top two vote getters would definitely be Italian Mexican. Like that okay. is it's close. It's a good one. That is it's a good one. Really hard to decide. It's like deciding between my future children if that ever comes. Are but you gonna name them Italian and Mexican? I, is that, <laughs> Luke, Luke and Leia. Um, Luke and Leia. Whoa, I don't know, man. That uh, make sure they true. know they're related first. <laughs> You're right. Don't hide we their existence from each other. We will be doing other names. The just just Mike. Mike. Uh, Mike and, and Leia. Yeah. There you go. Uh, um, I, I'll, I'll spin off of Mexican food while you're thinking about it. I think that's probably my answer. The thing that spurred this, though, is that American breakfast food would be really hard for me to turn away. If you said anything you can get from a brunch spot, and I'm not making this a way to, like, sneak in burgers and fries. I'm saying you get the entire egg kingdom, breakfast meats, um, waffles, pancakes, French toast, you can go sweet and get your syrups and stuff involved there if you want, or some biscuits and gravy on a regular. I mean, it's not going to be good for you, but I like it a lot. It's it's hard. That might be my favorite genre of food, but I don't think it's my everyday. And, and, and this is where this leads us to next. The versatility of breakfast food is really like the linebacker core of the Kansas City Chiefs right now. <laughs> I mean, they have a little bit of everything. Uh, you got it. You got your pass rush, yeah, uh, with Leo Chanel if you want it. You got your run stuffer, Nick Bolton, your green dot. You got, you got your your guy can do it all. You're your, tranquil. Your, your, your Mr. Mario, if uh. you will. <laughs> you know, what's he excel at? Maybe nothing. Boy, is he good at everything? You bet your ass he is. Drew Tranquil really excels at everything. A, a, a top fifteen pass coverage linebacker, really sure. Junior. That's a beautiful take. Um, he is the the linebacker core is the breakfast food, the brunch, if you will. I think, I'm, team. I think I'm going to go Mexican food because I think I can get huevo rancheros. So oh, I can get a good, sort yeah. of an eggy thing in a breakfast, ro- kind of a breakfast rotation. Veggies and meats, fresh stuff, fried stuff. You can really run the gamut in Mexican food. So I think I think that's what my actual answer would be. But I'd have a hard time saying goodbye to some of the some of the food groups we've appreciated today. Mm, yeah. Uh, hard time saying goodbye to some of these food groups. Just how we're gonna have a hard time saying goodbye to some of these players that don't make the fifty-three because the Chiefs have just so Paul much talent. Blart on the segways. Just a plethora of talent. There's gonna be a lot of guys that aren't making this roster, 
playing on Sundays elsewhere. Going to be very hard. I mean, Amir Smith-Marset showing. How good did he look? 82 uh, for the Chiefs. He looked unreal. I, again, I get it. Preseason didn't get the second no, third stringers, but I was saving my take. I thought this was going to be a, a ramp up into taking a break. Yeah, we might. I just, I just, I wanted to get at least some more home talking. stretch right after this. I didn't realize we we're doing this or that. Uh, it's a tradition, Stu. Ask me about some guys who performed in the preseason. I'll tell you what's more for real. How about that? All right, sounds good. Uh, Wanye Morris is going to be a left tackle of the future. I think that's the goal, but being the swing tackle of the present is a great place to start. Who gets more snaps, Jalen Watson, Joshua Williams? I'm going to lean Jalen Watson. I think he edges that out. But that is a really interesting little battle that we heard the uh, coaches talk about some over the last couple of weeks. Interesting. Eka Boido, is he a practice squad guy, or does he sneak onto the 53 if Nick Jones is forced to miss time? It's a good question. I think still Echo Boido probably ends up being one of the top practice squad candidates. Khalifa Lacey and him, I imagine, both just miss out on the 53, but get very quick invitations back to the practice squad. Chiefs keep six or seven wide receivers. Seven. Seven. Yeah. The only way it's not seven to me is if Kadarius Tony is not ready. I don't know if you heard Andy Reid today. I uh, asked, is Kadarius Tony going to practice soon? He said, uh, not tomorrow. Probably not tomorrow. Uh, so maybe if he's not ready, it could be six. But yeah. seven will make that initial cut down. Yeah. Uh, does that mean Amir Smith-Marset? What happens with him? Future Washington Commanders <laughs> wide receiver Amir Smith-Marset. Uh, he was the Chiefs last last season through that whole cycle yeah. and everything too, right? So if Eric Bieniemy had a chance to uh, to enjoy his presence, I'm guessing he'll be a commander, a bear, or maybe a colt in a couple of weeks. Who gets more playing time? Rasheed Rice Justin Ross. Ooh. I'm, I'm not gonna, saying game three of the preseason. I'm talking this entire year. This regular yeah. season. Regular who season. ends with more snaps taken. Correct, yeah. Even if I don't have to have a little injury cop out, I'll say Rasheed Rice narrowly. Mm. But I like that question a lot. Yeah. Uh, does Clyde Edwards-Alaire play way more than fans want? Yes. Yes, I think that's happening. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco out of the non-contact jersey today, though, so that does open some things back up. Obviously, with him being in the non-con jersey, not non-conference, non-contact, uh, <laughs> with him being in the non-contact jersey, someone had to get that work. So I, I think maybe in Clyde, when you have old Jarek McKinnon injured uh, Isaiah Pacheco, why don't you ask me about the other two running backs we haven't talked about yet? I was getting into it. Is generic Prince starting to lose his chance at making a 53 in his LaMichael P. Ryan and his damn good pass pro sets having a real opportunity of making it. I will say that I believe wholeheartedly the Chiefs would like all five of those running backs under their control. Yes. Between the practice squad and the active roster. I don't know if they have a real backup plan for kick returns. If they really want that to be the Eric Prince, I think he keeps his spot. If they're cool having someone else return kicks... They use the Michael P. Ryan in situations like you would expect the number three or four running back to be in. And Prince was a, another, like, rung down. I, I think that's really interesting. I, I might give the edge to P. Ryan right now. That might be overreacting. Small sample size and all. Uh, so, again, I want to lay this out for you guys. Yes, the Chiefs can keep three quarterbacks, but all three count against the 53. Where they don't all count is on the active game day 46-man roster. That's right. Uh, you can have three. Only counts as two. You get a free one. You get a little freebie. But they still all three count against the 53. One, the initial question, which I'm sure you're going to agree with, they keep three. Yes, I think so. And second question, who is the inside edge right now, Gabbert 
or is it going to be Shane Boucher as a backup? It was interesting to see Gabbert come into the game on Saturday. Reed said today that it's very close between those two, which I think last year he would have just said Chad Haney is the backup. I think that they're going to carry three for sure. I think it would be a little surprising for them to have gone in on Gabbert and, and think that he's not a relative step up over where Bouchel is. So I still think that Shane Bouchel is an active week one, but is on the active roster and being an active, quote unquote, as a third quarterback, doesn't matter. You can be called into action. You'll be dressed. Uh, but I, I think Gabbert is the guy who is uh, QB2 this season still. As much as Blaine Gabbert has, at least in the first game, didn't look good. He looked great the second game. I yeah. know that throw to Justin Ross has some people up in arms. Yeah, I think it was Justin I, Ross's fault. I, I also want to point out, at that instant, you're throwing to a spot. Yeah. You're, you're, you you think he had time to wait for him to all of a sudden, oh, he's open. Now I'm going to throw it. That's not how it works in the NFL. They are throwing well before they even break out of the route. So. Also, Rasheed Rice was just to his right, like down the line, down the seam there. So for Ross to have broken the other way would have been going right into Rice's area. It just yeah. wouldn't have made sense. So I do think that Ross probably just read it read it wrong. And the pass was there if he goes to the pylon. And my point is, Blaine Gabbard's looking damn good on these deep throws. Yeah. He, he's already completed two deep throws this year. That would have been his third real one that you're you're, you're getting thrilled about. So uh, Blaine Gabbard, still some arm strength left. Yeah. Uh, all right, K-State, they rank 16th or 17th, believing whichever poll you're looking at, right? Whatever poll you're looking at, 16th or 17th. Are they being a little disrespected after their finish last year? Um, I don't know. Disrespected, I would say probably not because college football completely changes in its own little ways every <laughs> offseason. Then you come back and you look for where those teams are at. But I, I could see K-State saying we're being overlooked right now and we deserve yeah. to be in that, that top of the top. Uh, and they're going to have to prove that, just like anyone who's not Georgia and Alabama perpetually has to has to prove on a year-to-year basis. Uh, the Kansas Jayhawks, do they get to six wins this year, and do they make a bowl? I think they do. I think, yeah, absolutely. I, I, w- I think less than six wins and not making a bowl with a knock on wood, healthy Jalen Daniels for a full season, mm-hmm. that would be a disappointment. When's the last time KU could reasonably say that they were capable of having a disappointing season? That's crazy. What, what's funny is, I, again, I, I'm a Mizzou guy, so I, don't, I but th- this is me completely unbiased. Okay. Okay. I, I don't think KU gets to six wins this year, and I know I'm getting booed right now. I don't. But 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 I don't think it's a bad uh, thing. I, I I think it's a case of if they only get five wins this year, don't complain. This is still a step in the right direction, even if the record does not show it. I think Kansas Jayhawks are building their team the right way. I freaking love the head coach. I love the way they're building. I, I'm a massive fan. They're actually putting money into the system, into the organization. Like This is huge for KU. Yeah. So if they win five games, don't jump ship. KU fans, Jayhawk fans, stick with them. I don't care what the record shows. I like the way they're building. Uh, and again, now my hat goes back on. Mizzou's going 10-2 and two this year. No, yeah. I'm kidding. Uh, does Mizzou win seven games this year? Because that, that's the real cutoff for me is I think they win six. I, I'm really... Um, the over-under six and a half, right? Yeah. Man. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say under. See, I, I'm a Mizzou guy. So I'm allowed. I'm allowed to be yeah. very down for on that. yourself. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can, okay? It's, sure. it's like it's like the big brother, little brother. Okay. I think you all the local schools I can are going hate over. On my little brother, I you can't hate on them. They're going to win nine games. This all year. the all the local schools are going to go two games over. Um, K State is going to be a national champion. It's going to be crazy for them to share a college football playoff berth with KU and Mizzou. But they're going to figure it out. I'm not sure how those numbers will work, but they'll figure it out. Uh, how's the uh, the over under on the Briscoe? Um, what's what's it called? I guess the uh, homeschool. Football squad going. Oh, uh, we're still looking for our first dub. <laughs> but, you know, we, we're winners every day. We prepare like winners even when we don't get to take the red iron. Briscoe, Dylan, this is fun. Until next time, we are out.